Hey everybody, how are you? Matt Halpern here, episode 22 of the Chocolate Croissants podcast. Normally I record this intro all by my lonesome, but today is different. I have the infamous Goodman Brothers with me, Mr. Justin on my left. Hi. And Mr. Z- Zordon, Jordan? 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 This sucks. Door. <laughs> oh man. Bye bye. Hi guys, welcome to the podcast. We're going to let Matt finish his intro thank you so uh thanks for checking us out giving us a listen we really really appreciate it as we said this is episode 22 i imagine that there might be one of you out there who have been with us all 22 weeks and if so my god you are a champion thank you for bearing with us and i have a feeling that after tonight you might not do that anymore um anyway Something that is really cool that we all see every week is all the interaction and the engagement in our Facebook group. The Facebook group is um, uh, is available for you to be found at www.facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants. Why do you always say www. I've thought that every time, but I've never said anything to you. I don't know. It's just how it comes out. Isn't it like not necessary at this point, though? I don't know. I mean, it really... To me, I think it, uh, it, it preps people that a URL is coming. It's a formality. Okay, as long as you have a reason. Yeah. www.facebook.com But there's a lot of talk in the Facebook group like this. You know, People challenging each other, asking good questions, trying to get to the bottom of things. And most of those conversations are way more important and probably smarter than the question that Jordan just asked me. So if you'd like to be involved in any of those conversations, I would highly recommend that you head to www.facebook.com slash group slash chocolate croissants and jump right in and say hello. Ask a question to us, ask a question to our upcoming guests and uh, talk to each other, see where everybody's from. It's a really good time. There's some really good threads you can, you can see. So anyway, you're very welcome there. Uh, on top of that, Jordan would like to ask all of you listeners here a quick favor. Jordan? Hi again, guys. Uh, so what really helps us uh, would be for you to take out your phone and open your podcast app of choice and search Chocolate Croissants. And there's a subscribe button, we'd assume, on most of these apps. Um, I use Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Uh, but I'm sure on Google Play and all the other ones too. If you subscribe, that makes sure that every Monday morning uh, the episode will be downloaded into your phone. That means you don't need to use your data to listen to it, which is nice. And we also get the uh, download statistics, which helps us a lot. Uh, Also, if you have a friend or maybe a family member who you think would find value in these episodes, uh, let them know. Maybe they'll do the same. Thank you. It's pretty easy to share it, too, as we found out today in some of our research we were doing. Yeah. Wait, share what? Share episodes of the podcast. Oh, yeah. You can just like tell someone that it exists. You can at www.chocolatecroissants.com. How was that URL not taken? I don't know. I, I don't know. I went, found it, and that kind of just completed the, the picture. I mean, well, I mean, it answered the question, should this be called chocolate croissants? And the fact that that was available, I think, is just... It was utterly shocking. Baffling. Yeah, we figured it would be $1,000, $500 to buy the euro. And it was like, not it was, that. Yeah, it was just meant to be. So, before we started this podcast, we were all pretty apprehensive because we didn't have good gear to use. Um, but I have some very, very good friends 
specifically my buddy Matt over at Road Microphones. And I reached out to Matt and I said, hey dude, we're starting this podcast, but we sound like shit right now. Is there anything you can do to help us out? And Matt went above and beyond and uh, got us an amazing setup here. We have some great microphones provided by Rode that we use every single episode. Procasters, uh, they're yeah, called. The Procasters. They are called Procasters. They're specifically podcast microphones. Um, and they, they work great. I also use the NT-USB microphone that they offer. Um, I use it usually to record these intros. And when we do our Skype interviews or we do satellite episodes, I typically use that. It's a really good mic. It's pretty clear. I've recorded some people on it, specifically my buddy Casey Spiegel. Shout out to Forever Wireless. What's up, Casey? Trying to get you on as a sponsor too. Um, but yeah, so Rode Microphones. If you guys are interested in getting into podcasting, if you're recording live music or recording studio music like drums, if you want to use your phone to record content out in the world and you need a microphone to help make the sound better, Rode has products that you can check out. They're available at rodemic.com. That's rodemic.com. Notice the lack of www dot there. Well done. Thank you. And uh, you can also follow them on their socials at Road Mike. Okay, so this episode, sadly, we don't have a guest for you, unless you want to consider Justin our guest. Dude, I'm not sad. He hasn't spoken this yet. This is great. Yeah, wait, I was also going to say that, you know, in case if you were very interested in everything Matt just spoke about in, in regards to Rode microphones, R-O-D-E microphones, hit us up and we'll tell you all about the microphones. Yeah, we will. Okay, so our guest today <laughs> is Justin Goodman. What's up, guys? And uh, Jordan Goodman. Yeah. And Matt Halpern. Hey. Hey. What's up, everybody? All right, so we decided that it would be fun to just have the three of us tonight. Reflect. Reflect on the past 22 weeks. Talk about some of our favorite moments, some of our favorite guests. And then we also have some other topics that we wanted to talk about, some of which come from our listeners themselves. Um, do we want to start there or do we want to start like by reflecting? I want to reflect. All right. Does it feel like 20, this is 22 weeks and, and add another couple of months of figuring out the process to do all of this? Does it feel like half a year? Not to me. No, not really. Even though we really started talking about this back in January, uh, but it wasn't until I think mid-March where maybe we published episode one. But uh, I feel like like I've looked even just in the artwork that, that I've been doing, I'll look at what I did for episode one in, and I'd be like, man, that fucking sucks. But I think it's a really good lesson and this is what we talked about in earlier episodes of figure out what your baseline of quality or standard is and then just like fucking ship the thing into the world and then you get better by doing it week by week so uh it's been cool to see how this has grown in all the different ways um not only in how i've been doing this like artwork but in how we uh communicate and the nonverbal ways that we figure out how to communicate um even like with benny last week n none of us were in the same room uh but yet we have figured out a, a communication uh, formula that works for us through just texting and figuring it out. And I don't know, it feels like we've grown a lot in a very short time. Yeah, I actually think it's really interesting because I listened to Jordan, uh, his band Reindeer, 
they did a podcast and it was fantastic. It was great. I loved it. And, and you could definitely tell all of the time that Jordan has now put into this, we can call it like the, the simulator. He's gone through doing this time and time again. He has the practice and, and now when he takes it into the world in a, in a, in the same medium, but in a, a different, um, with something else that he does in his life, it's great. He gets to shine because this is now becoming very second nature to him to know, to, to get close to the microphone, to speak well, to, to be loud, you know, to, to be able to say his piece and it comes and it, it comes across and, uh, it's awesome. But so thank you. Truth be told, I mean, when I was maybe six years old, I would sit in the basement with a cassette recorder and create my own like fictional radio broadcasts. Was that the Home Alone or that was the that was talk before board, you, Probably. I don't. I feel like that was before your time. I don't. I feel like you were, you were older than six, but maybe not. Maybe I don't know. Right. But even in high school, like I would do the morning announcements like, right. through an intercom over the uh, you know entire school speaker system. Uh, so, I mean, really, I've spent my whole life leading up to episode 22 of this podcast. That's awesome. Well, but did, have you, did you ever... Matt just went so down in volume. He needs to... Matt, um, is <clears throat> this, are you surprised that you're doing this? No, not necessarily. Um, I'm surprised because I've never really been that big into podcasts myself. And there's some people out there that I'm friends with who in the past had approached me about doing some podcasts, some business partners who had approached me about doing some podcasts, and I've always turned it down. And then I started this one with you guys, and they're like, whoa, you started podcasting. What's up with that? So in that regard, I did not, you know, it's a little odd, but I really enjoy it. I really enjoy the results. I think that, I agree with Justin, that we've all... I think we've improved at least in speaking. You know, I think I definitely know my quirks still and what I do. Um, but I think we all are more aware of those things and we try to keep, keep them in check a little bit more than we did in the beginning episodes. So that's this has definitely thing. been the, the best mirror for myself, you know, being able to, being able to reflect on the, the past 22 episodes. Initially I was, I was, such a mess when it, when it came time to storytelling, I gave every little detail and I I'd go off on four different tangents and try to circle back to the original point. And I, I fully understood that speaking haphazardly like that was not going to, to serve anyone I was trying to communicate a point to in whatever I end up doing or, you know, whatever I do outside of the podcast. And it was actually incredible doing the pre-production, the pre-work that we did leading up to episode one, and then just seeing the growth over 22 episodes and seeing that you still may get nervous, but a good nervous energy. Where going into, say, Benny Greb's episode, I was feeling some butterflies, but it was because I was really excited for the conversation and also a little apprehensive because I was the only one who didn't know, you know, the actual guy. It was like, you know, Jordan had a great relationship from the time that he spent with Benny and Matt's obviously had a great relationship with, with Benny. And for me, we, we don't, we didn't know each other, but it's nice that I could reflect on the past 21 weeks and trust in the process and then move forward from there. And, and I loved it. Matt, have you ever felt nervousness throughout this process? I have not felt nervousness throughout this process. Um, but I will say, Justin, I have noticed that you've been way more direct 
in in a lot of areas. And that's really good. And I, I do think it's because we, we did shine light on that for each other at the very beginning. We were very honest with each other about our shortcomings in terms of what we needed to deliver here. Uh, so I, I see a huge difference in you for sure. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah, I actually think it's, I could tell right away that I think I was in school when we started this and I would realize that I would throw my hand up and want to make a point or ask a question and instead of going off on, on tangents and details that just did not matter, just wasn't pertinent to what I was trying to convey, I could get it off in one line. And that was just being conscious of it. And that was fucking great. Um, I also think what's awesome about the podcast is I think it's made each of our relationships that much stronger, which is really, really cool considering you know, at, at this stage in life, maybe when, when guys start to hit 30, uh, and life kind of takes over a bit. Uh, I feel like the relationships that you have may develop to a certain point and may not go too much past that. But in doing this, it gets so much more personal and, and we really have to work together as a cohesive unit. And so if there is an issue, we have to learn how to deal with that and, and be able to call each other out on things. And yeah, I think it's awesome. Do you guys know the only time I experienced nervous energy throughout all these episodes. Fuck yeah. Jimmy Haha. Jimmy Haha coming to your apartment. I was, I was a mess. Were you? Kind of. Tell us about it. Well, he was like a fucking hero of mine. And I, I overplayed it. I oversold it, obviously. But like that meant a lot to me because I really had put him on a pedestal for over 20 years of my life. So the fact that he was coming into my home, like that was really cool. I wanted him to enjoy it. But it was one of the cooler things I've really ever done. That's great. It makes total sense. Like who would have who would have thought that five months into this new venture that you started, Jimmy fucking haha would be sitting on your couch. Right? It's like nabbing the hottest girl. It's super surreal. And he played right back at you, which is great. Hell yeah. Anyway, let's uh let's dig into uh, some of this content from the www.people. Um, okay. Was well, there an extra W just there? Yeah, just now? definitely. I don't know. I think you did. You See, that's four. why I don't say it. You have four W's fuck it up. instead of three. It's three W's, just so you know. You know what it stands for? What? Worldwide Web. Wow. I knew you were going to say that. All right. Um, anyway. So we have some questions from a couple guys in the group. Um, first one is more music-based. So if there's any musicians out there, this one might be appropriate for you. So Evan Lunick from Pennsylvania was asking about, uh, it looks like talking about the approach to writing music for each of us and um, kind of like what bands essentially and artists that we're into or have influenced us specifically in regards to, I think, that writing process, not just like who do we listen to all the time. Um, so I don't know. I know we have a lot to say about this. Jordan, do you want to start? Sure. Yeah. Um, because it kind of, I, I see how it connects to a story I want to share about Benny Greb that I didn't get the opportunity to last week. Um, so for me, as far as if there's certain bands that have influenced my writing style, um, I mean, there's so many, uh, I mean, one that I can really point to is, uh, Man, fuck you guys. Just like <laughs> laying down on these couches, 
backing off. I'm listening. I Legs hope. Crossed. Let me entertain you guys. Um, I've always pointed to the drummer of Spoon just because his approach has been less is more focus on groove and focus on the song. Um, and for me, I've never really been like a fan of drummers. I've just always been a fan of bands. And so specifically for me, I never really point it to a specific drummer and try to emulate anyone's style. Um, I was just more drawn to, I want to get really good at drums because I want to contribute to a good band. And, uh, how that connects to this story with Benny, uh, as I shared, for a couple years, I helped manage his master sessions in the U.S. in the Catskill Mountains in New York. And it was the second time that I was doing it with him in 2015. So if you can imagine, there's 25 other drummers there. And these are like, quote, drummers, drummers. These are people that are giving up a week of their lives and spending a lot of money to literally travel from all around the world. People from, from India, from Australia, et cetera, et cetera. And so that was my community for those five days or so. And oftentimes during the meals, they're talking about the equivalent of like a Matt Halpern, you know, or a Benny Greb. And truth be told, like, I don't know who most of these guys are. And I felt like an outsider in that community. And for whatever reason, I kind of let that get to me. Uh, and I felt less than because of it. And, um, as an aside, Benny Greb is one of the hardest working guys I've ever experienced. Uh, he would literally go from like 9.30 a.m. till sometimes past midnight without taking a break, fully on with all those campers. And even still, he and I would be up till sometimes 3 a.m. or later, kind of, you know, drinking wine and talking. And I brought up to him that insecurity. And he pretty much told me, like, why would I care what anyone else thinks? And for whatever reason, it took him, who in that camp was put on a pedestal, to share that with me, uh, in, in a way, give me permission to not care. Um, and it helped me the rest of that week with all the campers. But not only that, like I was able to use that same advice in all kinds of things in my life. And for whatever reason, it was that moment, that night, that it really stuck with me of like, why do I give a fuck about the judgment of other people? Uh, I know I'm in a completely different sphere than where this started with the question in the Facebook group. Uh, I hope it's a point that those listening find value in, uh, but to circle it all back, um, the drummer from Spoon. But because of his approach to songwriting and not because of his specific drum parts or, or, or style, per se. Uh, that's cool. Um, what about your approach to writing? Uh, it's interesting. Every band's been different. So I'm in a band called Reindeer now and, uh, our singer and, and guitar player, Charlie, he is pretty much Reindeer. He records the records, you know, now we're working on a record, so I'm playing to it. Uh, you know, but he, he's the engineer, he mixes, he masters, he's the band. So I've kind of followed his vision. So with this, like, we haven't spent as much time just because being in a band isn't, you know, something that I'm investing much of my time in at this point in my life as far as really uh, creating in that sense of these songs. But I'm, I'm, I'm playing on the record now, and it's kind of based off feel. In bands in the past, like with the ones with Justin, we'd often jam. And we would maybe jam for 20 minutes, and maybe within those 20 minutes, there was 
15 seconds of something that then became the foundation of a song. Uh, and it seems like that's how we typically wrote. We also had a singer-songwriter in a band called The Dialogue that we were in, and sometimes he would have chords and melodies, and then it was up to everyone else to jam on that to find rhythm and structure. That's cool. Well, you played in bands with Jordan. Is that right? I did. For me, it was on a record-to-record basis. I, is what it really came down to, I think. It's, it's funny you referenced Spoon, because the dialogue, one of the bands that Jordan and I played in together, there was a time where Rob Pope was the bass player, who, and he's currently the bass player of Spoon, came over from the Get Up Kids. The Get Up Kids were a band that I know Jordan and I saw maybe two or three times growing up, but it was never really on my radar. Neither was his bass playing. But I looked at Rob Pope as a bass player's bass player, kind of how I, maybe Jordan looked at, you know, and, and great in a band, the same way he looked at the Spoon Drummer. Um, and so, like, what a dynamic monster, perfect rhythm section for nailing the part for the song. And to me, when I listened to Rob Pope, there was a few things that stuck out for me. There was this usage of, of um, maybe like reverby, delay, chorus, you know, just typical things that maybe you would use to embellish a bass line just to make it stand out a little bit more on a record. And there was a perfect song for that tone and I just totally bit his style. I also loved because I was a gearhead and a little bit of a gear nut that I would look at what he was using. And for me, that was something that I got off on. He would be using... Uh, what looked like maybe a 70s, a vintage Ampeg, which is the go-to staple rock bass sound amplifier. And he was using like a mid-60s P-Bass. And as a guy who owns a business who buys and sells and flips and has fun with vintage gear, I was like, oh, this guy just totally gets it. It's like that Motown sound in a rock setting. And to me, that was just perfect. So there was a whole record that was based around the sound of Rob Pope, um, there was a time I was, I mean, ridiculously into Muse, and I know in the bass community, Chris Wolstenholme, his tone, his bass playing is like second to none when it comes to that, especially if you're into effects pedals, he's just out of control. And um, there was definitely the, the Boy Crazy record, which I think you can find on uh, Spotify. Um, that record was very heavily influenced by Chris's bass playing, and, and really that's what it always boiled down to, that whatever I was currently listening to at the moment was probably what there was one, you know, thread that always ran through the bands that Jordan and I played in together. And this, there was this dude, Brian, who's great. Brian was always a big influence on me, not only because of his style of writing, how progressive he was, which made me have to step up to the plate and be a better musician to play with the band, but also what he was listening to generally influenced me as he was, he was like, he was just always on the beat. You know, whatever the pulse was of being the early adopter, the first 5% of whatever is going to be cool next, he was already on top of it. He was like in like this like upper echelon 1%, it seemed like. And he'd be like, yo, did you check this out? And I'd be like, no. I would check it out and go, oh, shit. This is going to influence me for sure because I knew it was influencing him to write a lot of the stuff that we were jamming on. Yeah. That's cool. I remember meeting Brian... <clears throat> like when Spinfire played at Camp Milldale. Oh, wow. Way back in the day. That's great. And I think he went to my school. He went to Pikesville, didn't he? Went to Pikesville. He? Yeah, I thought so. I thought so. He's a good kid. Um, yeah, I don't, dude, I have so many influences. It's, it's, I don't even, I can't pinpoint one at all. There's just no way. 
it, it spans so far because there's drummers who have influenced me and then really musicians. And now I'm inspired by pretty much every single one of my friends because they're all way better musicians than I am. You know, it's pretty nuts. Go ahead. Man, I watched, I watched, pronounce his last name, Matt. Garska. Garska. Okay. Um, I watched him play and he is just flawless. You know, it's like he gets a Mortal Kombat perfect flawless victory flawless every victory. single time. I mean, it's ridiculous. He just like, you know, blows your head off. He is stupid good. But to me, I, I enjoy the style that you play. I don't fully understand polyrhythms and the style that you play. But I think it's very similar to going back to Jordan's point in that I think, you know, we, we were always influenced by what was around us and playing for the song. And a lot of what we played, it was much more simple, less complicated than the, the jazz-influenced, you know, metal genre that you play in. And I find it, and I think I told you this the other day, I find it so interesting that the disciples of your band and people that are listening to the gent style and the, the technical, the metal style that you guys are currently playing, I think it's... Um, Oh my God, it's out of control. Considering like like the influences that that we had growing up, Jordan and I, it's a whole different level if they're looking up to you currently and trying to play what you guys play. Because if they can play what you guys can play, then everything else should be subsequently so much easier to play. Yeah, I mean, there, there's many, many kids out there that can play on our level and beyond. And it's because of the exposure that they have. There's also a difference between being able to play someone else's parts and composing your own. 100%. Absolutely. And, and that, that's something that I actually really try to push in my classes or like in the transcription books that I put out. There's always a, a blurb about that, whether it be for every song or whether it be for like in the intro of the book. But I always talk about that. Like I always encourage people, listen, you can read these charts, learn these songs this way, but also try to memorize the music the melodies as you work through this and then imagine what other beats or other rhythms would work underneath it and come up with your own parts that are completely different than mine there's no rules like that that the way a song ends up is just a lot of times the way that everybody just what well, it is it's the way people commit to that song but it doesn't mean it's the only option especially rhythmically any melody can have any one melody can have so many different rhythms underneath it yeah, I think the the key thing to remember is that at the end of the day, or at its most fundamental level, music is communication. So when we're composing our own parts, yeah, of course, in a band, it needs to be cohesive with the song and, and the group of people you're with. Um, but you want it to sound like you. So, you know, it's different dialects. So like, you know, jazz could could be, you know, French and and metal could be English. Uh, but you can learn these different languages, but what is most true for you? And obviously it takes learning other people's dialects or languages to kind of figure out your vocabulary and what fits. Uh, but for me personally, it, it was always thinking about how does this uh, make the song better and how does this uh, represent me in my most authentic voice? And the thing that you touched on was the cohesiveness of it. And that's the thing. Like I see a lot of drummers in particular that 
they'll come to me and they'll say, Hey man, like I feel like my parts are kind of bland. They're just like, you know, they're, they're just, they fit the song and I want to figure out how to make them more complex. And like, maybe that makes sense to make them more complex, but at the same time, as you said, if your bandmates aren't communicating to you or to the listeners on that same level, the drum parts may end up being really cool, but they also may end up being disjointed from the song and from the group. And there's a couple of things that can happen when that happens. Like you end up being the drummer that everybody's like, Oh man, like you're so good. You're way better than your band. You you need to be in another band because this is lame and you're the, the attraction. Or what ends up happening is everybody's like, man, I really like the band, but the drummer's too busy. So can we uh, go watch another band? You know what I mean? It's you like you have to find a happy medium. I mean, just because you're trying to scratch that itch of what you're looking for by playing more, playing more complicated parts doesn't mean you're necessarily serving the good of the group. Well, you can kind of check yourself. Why are you doing this? Is it to quote get yourself over or to get your shit in, or is it to make the song better? Yeah, exactly. And so it's it's kind of weird. And we've talked about this, Justin, because. A lot of people rightfully presume that in my band, I play these really technical, crazy parts that are go over everybody's head and yada, yada, yada. But the reality of it is I'm, I'm playing parts for the songs. And it's not that any one member is busier than the other. It's actually cohesive. It's just cohesive on that kind of level or in that kind of category. So to, that's where I would go back to what Jordan said of like different dialects or different languages. The kind of music that I play is a very specific language, but I think in, in the dialect that we speak, it's very, very cohesive. Now, when you talk about guys like Matt Garska and Animals as Leaders, to me, I think they're even, they're speaking on a, in a much more uh, complicated dialect than even my band fully can grasp. And it's, and it's amazing to see because it's incredible. Like I've heard Misha say over and over, like I can't wait to go on tour with them this fall because I get to watch Matt Garska play drums every night. And all of us feel that way. Like, and I, it's funny. I was talking to Matt the other day and he's so funny. Um, he's just always so positive and like always so excited. And he's always working on drums. And when you see him play, it makes sense. Like, that kid spends six to eight hours, maybe more. Matt, maybe you can confirm a day, like you, you know, practicing and working and like re- it's his job. Shit is gnarly. So yeah. So for those of you out there who haven't checked out Matt's new DVD, I'm going to plug it right now. It's called The Madness of Matt. It's not even a DVD. I think it's a. It's on his website. It's just but, a playthrough. Well, there's there's playthroughs to promote the whole thing on YouTube. So if you go on YouTube and you look up Matt Garska um, and you search the madness of Matt, you'll find some pretty amazingly shot videos. Actually, my buddy Ivan Chopik did it. He, he directed these videos and they, they look great. But I mean, it's next level drumming. It's, it's the future of, of drumming. And when I watch someone like Matt play, who is a gigantic influence on me, I, I, it's cool. I know Matt's influences. So I know he's a huge Gary Novak fan. 
I know he's a huge Vinny Caliuta fan, Dave Weckl. I know that he gets down with all of these like legendary drummers who, Jordan, I don't know if you're familiar with. I know the names, but I also know that they're, you know, quote, drummers, drummers. They are drummers, drummers, but they've also been on some of the biggest records you've ever heard. You know, Gary Novak toured with Alanis Morissette for many, many, many years, right? Um, then you have uh, Vinny Caliuta, who's been on everything, right? Plays with Sting, right? It's huge. Um, who else did I say? Jordan was a Steve Gatt guy. Well, Steve Gatt, again, that's another guy who's been on so many records and is just an incredible player. When um, you say so many records, I think Josh Fries. Well, Josh, yeah, but that's a whole different genre again. Right. But at the same time, when you, Josh Freeze most recently has been out with Sting. So now he's playing the Sting gig, which was the Vinny gig. Um, and he, you know, he is next level. It, that guy, too, is just a whole nother kind of monster when it comes to drumming. It's a different talent than what Matt Garska has. Not to say either of them couldn't do what the other does, but it's a whole different thing. Um, and then what's cool is that then you get these guys that sort of fall in between those two, let's call them poles of the drum world. Like you have a Matt Garska who's great and you have a Josh Freeze who's great, but then you get a guy like Elon Rubin who falls in the middle of that mm. and is just like, just ridiculous. Next level, ambidextrous. He can play with Piano, Paramore. Well, he plays yeah, cello. I mean, yeah, he's a multi-instrumentalist. He's a singer. But, Singer. but he, he can go from playing with Nine Inch Nails and crushing it to playing with Paramore and crushing it. If you listen to, um, I forget which, which Paramore record it is. Um, I think it's the one that- Two he, records ago? Two records ago, Where yeah. he played on the drums. He played on drums. I mean, yeah. the, the, not only do the drums sound incredible, but like the parts are just iconic. I actually want to, want to go there for a second because interestingly enough- um, a pretty heavy influence on my bass playing more recently when I wasn't playing in bands is Justin Meldel Johnson. It was actually part of the influence of me putting my middle name. Did, as, I, did I ever tell you about the time when I met him? No. Like in studio? No. I'll okay, finish. Sorry, I'll tell you about that. So Justin Meldel Johnson was a music director and bass player for Beck for about 10 years. So I think of a classic Beck bass line like Sex Laws. And go, go check it out, two X's. Just incredible, funky, 70s-based. A Midnight Vultures record? Yeah, yeah. Um, probably, uh, I can think of like five, I guess the newest Beck record, I can, I can think of at least six others that I, that I, I think of like classic Justin Metal Johnson sounds. He, to me, was, as a gearhead, he was fantastic because he had an arsenal of gear larger than you can wrap your head around. Um, he had every tone in his collection. He had all the amps, all the coolest effects pedals. Um, similar to like, if you think of Omar from uh, the Mars Volta, you know, just everything. Uh, and, and I remember he came onto a niche forum talk bass and I was really big into talk bass because I would lust over and after vintage gear and these things that I wanted to acquire one day to have these tones that I thought were just out, out there in the world that, that you just couldn't get without having the stuff. And he was just amazing. And my favorite band is Nine Inch Nails. And the next thing I knew, Justin Meldel Johnson was playing bass with Nine Inch Nails and Josh Fries is playing drums. And I'm like, this is, this is next level shit right here. This is ridiculous. And so I went by myself to go see them because I, I didn't need anyone to go with me. This was like my own experience, my own like outer body experience. And it was, you know, it was a drug to say the least. 
And, um, and interestingly enough, when Josh got traded out and Elon was playing for lost profits, I believe at the time, you know, he kind of passed the torch. And the next thing I know, it's this freaking Elon Rubin dude. And I'm thinking like, oh, I knew of the new regime. He's doing this. And like, this is even more fantastic. And then fast forward even one more notch. And Justin Metal Johnson's not playing bass. Fast forward, it's like it's four, Pino. four years, right? And Hesitation Marks comes out, I think it was 2013. I was living in Los Angeles and I go to the Staples Center to see a show because fucking Pino Palladino is playing the bass. And I'm like, if, there, if there's one guy that you could look at as the bass player's bass player, I mean, somewhere right smack down in the middle of everything you would ever want to know about bass playing, Pino Palladino. Yeah. Insane. Yeah, that's pretty rad. It's cool that you've seen Nine Inch Nails in all of those different contexts too. I'm almost bummed that I didn't start super early because there's Danny Lohner and you know different guys that, that I would have enjoyed seeing, but I wouldn't have been able to appreciate it at that time in my life. I mean, we're talking like, you know, I was like seven, you know, 94. That Nine Inch Nails always has the best players. I mean, it's just, they're so sick. Well, the there's- last time I saw them... Uh, was at Bonnaroo, and at that time it was supposed to be like their last show, maybe 2012. Uh, and then I, with Matt, your buddy Billy from Dillinger Escape Plan, uh, like Dillinger was performed with them for maybe four songs or so. Yeah, they opened up. Well, th- they were they were on tour with them at the time. I'm pretty sure. Right, and they performed their own set right. at Bonnaroo. Right. Uh, but but did Billy play with Nine Inch Nails? Yeah, they they all are. He and and I know the singer, maybe a guitar player. Uh, performed with Nine Inch Nails for for maybe fifteen minutes of their set. Yeah, that's sick. That's awesome. Yeah, that was it was two thousand nine, which marked twenty years of Nine Inch Nails, eighty nine to oh nine. It was that long. Yeah, man. Pretty. I mean, nineteen eighty nine. Pretty Hate Machine comes out. Yeah, man. All those bonds, right? Just and you still hear like head like a hole always on radio. Well, it's is, crazy. It was, it was so ahead of its time. Oh, uh, it's, even and I mean, I can go back and I hear the sounds and I can hear how how much it's evolved now right, at right. the same time it still holds up completely and that shit is like still heavy and fucking mean i mean it's why in like probably 2013 or 14 as i was putting together my vinyl collection that like i went back and bought an original you know copy from 89 to just see how it was mastered how it was mixed and did it sound audibly that much different from right. a remastered copy i mean just Brilliant stuff, but but it, in '09 they were actually they were touring um, Street Sweeper, which was a project from um, Tom Morello. Tom Morello was opening, which was fucking great, and then it was the Ninja tour, Nine Inch Nails and Jane's Addiction. Wow, it was that tour that was happening? But you got to see Justin Metal Johnson on the bass, and um, you got to see Elon Rubin, who's currently still doing work with them you got to see alessandro cortini who's playing keys for them who's a monster and you saw robin which is you know a mainstay it's crazy from back in the 90s yeah and still looks the same and Dude. looks incredible and still throws down and it's a monster okay brag moment real quick robin emailed ggd like, uh, you get, showed get, me i showed I you the like, email it's crazy Lord. yeah he he was like hey can i get an nfr to mess around with like i'd love to check it what out what does that I'm, mean uh not for risa there you go so like a you know, like a comp version to check it out. And it's, of course, yes, you, yes, Robin, you may have this. And um, who's Robin? He's the guitar ahead. player of Nine Inch Nails. You like, like I would say he's the most notable member who's with the band, who's been with them since the 90s. So while we're on this, we've never really talked about 
music or bands that we like, and the vast majority of our listeners, uh, I, I would assume music is pretty central uh, to their to their lives. So, I mean, Matt, we I guess we never really talk about this much. Like, I guess maybe in the past six months, Matt, like, what have you been listening to? I have to pull up my iTunes, my Apple Music. Uh, can I help you? What do you mean? When that new Paramore record came out, you were... Oh yeah! All well, over okay. that Paramore be, record, right? Uh, let's go real quick. So, because I was so stoked about jo- about Justin, Justin Metal, Metal Johnson. Johnson, who produced that whole record, right? We didn't even get to that point. So I I was in Los Angeles, and for whatever reason, I stumble into a studio where David Bendith is there producing with Justin Justin's new side project called "I'm a Robot." Do you remember "I'm a Robot"? I do, and that so, was with this the singer. What singer? What's uh, band? I can't remember the, his band or the band now that he's in. I can't remember. I'll think of it. What's what's like Jordan? May Jordan will get this. What's one of those bands that's that's kind of like um, like Gypsy esque, and it's not the one I'm thinking of. It's another one. Like Gogol Bordello. It's like that's like the first thing that comes to my mind. It's it's like a guy's name plus Edward the, Sharp. Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. Edward Sharp was the singer of I'm a Robot. Which oh, yeah, is, I remember that. Band. Yeah, I which saw is them, like on a warp tour like 12 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And I'm a robot is like I M A and then robot. Right. Yeah, I walked in and, and Justin's there and like I knew who he was because I, I just had been familiar with his career and like back and it's just crazy. And I'm just kind of sitting there. I was young. I was in my early 20s. I'm just like hands between my knees, like, fuck, this is crazy. I'm with all these legends and like Bendith and him are like producing this record and. It was just very cool. It sounded awesome. And what's so cool is um, the sounds that they were working with on that record are so like, you, you can, the, the evolution goes straight into this new Paramore record. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. There's an incredible, I think it opens with that incredible bass line. There's yeah. A bass tone with like an overdrive distortion to it. And like to me, that's stuff that I really got off on. And I felt like I searched for years and years and years as a bass player looking, searching for the perfect tone. And I'm sure Mac can attest to that now that he has signature series models of, of a, he has a snare drum, the Wraith, and he has a, a cymbal stack that came out where you stack a couple of cymbals together. And like I watched a video recently of all these guys coming out with these cymbal stacks and you can, it was really interesting how intricate it was. You can tighten it really tight. It makes a different tone than when you loosen it a bit to medium. And and to me, that's the same stuff. I always thought of, I always thought drumming was really interesting because I thought every piece you have is like another effects pedal. You know, you could have 10 different snare tones. You could have, you could have, I mean, you could have a whole Neil Peart world of drums around you that sound tonally super different. And I always thought that was great, but I think I was more like Jordan when it came to my songwriting in that I liked, to, for me personally, I liked to have, I, I wanted to have this whole arsenal, this whole bag of tricks I could draw from, but I was probably never going to pull from any of those. I just wanted to play for the song. I'm, I'm curious about how people perceive, uh, Matt, your first response of Paramore, because that probably seems left field given the... Mm. Uh, the type of music that you that you perform, I don't. It's funny. I don't really listen to much metal. I mean, I have some select bands that I really like, and more so select songs by certain bands that I really like. But the majority of stuff that I listen to is not in the same genre of my band. 
So when you joined, well, I guess Animals as Leaders was the first time you started playing like more progressive metal. Yeah, when I was, yes. Well, no, because I used to, technically I used to play in like a Dream Theater cover band kind of thing. And Dream Theater is not necessarily um, progressive metal, but they kind of are. I mean, they have some some heavier stuff and it's always very progressive. But I guess culturally, did you ever feel like an outsider at first? No. Only in some ways, only because what I hadn't done had spent time playing and practicing traditional metal or death metal, which most of the drummers that you run into in this genre, and even looking back on like Naveen Koperwise, who was the drummer of Animals as Leaders prior to Matt Garska, um, and after I was playing with them, Naveen is a amazing, like ridiculous death metal drummer and has chops for days. Um, and now it's funny, like, you know, he has a, a very, very cool band that he plays in. Um, but it is, it, it's so cool because it's, it encompasses like every single style that he can do the drum and bass stuff combined with the death metal combined with everything else. So, but going back to what you what you were asking, it's like, I don't really listen to metal that much so and i pulled up my um my apple music here so in the past few months some of the consistent spins have been from paris in particular uh paris's new record just came out recently and that's um, closer to a paramore like female fronted pop rock yes but but more progressive and darker okay it's very different it's very very different um i've been into this band don broco for a long time now they're a british band um who just fucking crush they're like it's like heavy pop extremely well-written songs everything sounds great just super into that um i got really into the new bruno mars record 24k magic i think it's fantastic i taught a lot of those songs it's a great record it really is um i've been spinning benny greb's new record i've always been into the band the deer hunter um, Which I'm, is different from Deer Hunter. It's the you yeah, are the D E A R. Yeah, the Deer Hunter. Um, wait, 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 wait. D E A R is Casey from the receiving end Casey of Sirens, Crescenzo. right? Yeah. Okay, okay. Just because I know Jordan likes Deer, deer Hunter with two E's, and I like the Deer. Hunter. I like the Deer Hunter. Correct. Does, deer, does the Deer the Deer Hunter? This is so confusing. Does the does the deer does Casey have any new music out more recently? He had like a colors. Well, he did the colors thing, and yeah, like there's there's been more records since then. And now um, he's building guitars. So if anybody needs a guitar, but so uh, Thrice is always one that I'm super into. Dustin Kensrue in particular, the singer of Thrice, has an amazing, fucking amazing live acoustic record that is entitled "Thoughts That Float on a Different Blood," and that probably is the most played record of the past year in, wow. in my car. I never knew that. Matt um, told me recently, I was like, you know, make your your fun, fictitious super band, like who's going to be the singer? And I think you said Dustin I just was love the top his voice. candidate for yeah. sure. Uh, He's I've, soulful. Very powerful. So soulful. Yeah, dude, if you listen to this record, like, so I, unfortunately, nothing against them. I just have never kind of enjoyed Counting Crows. But Dustin... <laughs> Dustin does a, does a cover of Round Here that com- yeah. that completely changed my perspective on the lyrical content that comes from Counting Crows. Wow. wow. Um, you know, my drum circles once opened up for Counting Crows. That's really cool, man. Uh, Not really. <laughs> I like I the Jeff Tones, right? Yeah. And they kind yep. of fall in that heavier world. I also love He Is Legend. 
don't know if you guys ever listened to them. Their new records yeah, out. I mean, in like, you know, 2005, that Man, was Man, we, we were in Orlando and Virgin Records still existed. And Brian, before anybody was on He Is Legend, Brian that was in the band with Jordan and I, he said, man, there's this band. And this doesn't even feel like the internet was even relevant, you know, as relevant as it is, as it is now to promote bands and put them, all, put them out there. And he's like, we got to go grab this EP. It was like in the 90210 EP. You remember that, right? Yeah. With well, the, the either decorated for Christmas song. And it was just like, he was like, we got to get this. And we bought two copies. And that was a huge influence on maybe some of the, the, the early boy crazy music we were making when it I was had like it had to be. 17, well, 18. Like, absolutely. Writing parts that sounded just like theirs. So the first time I heard their album, I Am Hollywood, right. it, it blew my mind because it was just such a, uh, like a mix of these different sounds, but it had so much energy. And then um, once they put out It Hates You, that, that album, I was just hooked. Dude, so... That's two albums later? Two albums later. So I think Suck Out the Poison was after I'm oh, Hollywood. Oh, Spit Out the Blood. No, no, Suck Out the Poison. Okay. And then after that was It Hates You. And I can't tell you how many hours I've spent listening to that record driving a van and trailer across the country with Periphery. Like that was one of probably the most spun records between me and Jake Bowen. I was going to say, I remember band. Jake saying he would love to tour with He Is Legend. Me, yeah, and and... That record in particular was just constantly going. When we would drive overnight, it just it kind of helped us time the drive because we knew each song so well. We knew how long it was, and I never get sick of it. Like I still listen to that record. I was playing it for my, our, our buddy Joe Hamilton the other day. I was showing him some stuff, and I don't know. It still just holds up. It's great. So they have a new record that's out now, and it's, it's such a small world. So not not to like go down this road too much, but it's kind of a cool story to tell. So I was in a band a bunch of years ago called The Underwater. And the guitar player of that band, his name is Matt Holmes. Um, funny thing about Matt Holmes is he has the same initials as me, MH. Our birthdays are both on June 21st. We both have sisters named Jacqueline. There's all these just... Shaved heads? What's that? Shaved heads? No, no, no. He's got longer hair. Is this a new? Do you know what I'm talking about? This is this a newer guitar player? No, no, Matt. Are you talking about He Is Legend? I'm yeah. talking about the manager of He Is Legend. Oh, the manager. Okay. So okay. Matt now, who used to be in a band with me, is the manager of He Is Legend. Oh wow! And it's just such a small world, just how all this works in in music. How just, I I see all these different people bouncing around from one place to the next, and it's just always these cool new places they land. So he is legend hadn't crossed my mind since I am Hollywood, well over a decade now. I actually listened to that record, the whole thing, a couple months ago. And I mean, at the time, it definitely fit within that sphere of post-hardcore and quote scene music. But listening back on it, it had more of a variety and depth to it. And it really pulled a lot from... Uh, I get more generally, they had a southern vibe to it, obviously, and kind of riff rock. Um, I remember seeing them the last time I saw them perform. They, uh, uh, fuck, what's that Stone Temple Pilot song? Wicked Garden. And they mm. kind of introed that. And I was like, oh, that's a direct influence from that first STP record. And I really, I think they just got pigeonholed in that, in that music scene and, and maybe with whatever labels they were on and, and context, uh, it seemed like they could never really find a way out of that. 
Um, but it's cool to see that. I mean, I see that they play Auto Bar, it seems, once a year still. Yeah, they were just on tour with Seven Dust recently. Oh, that's that. right. They were at Ramshead. Yeah. I think it was direct support. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's cool to see like guys like that still doing it at, at a really professional level. Yeah, and they're good guys. I was going to tell you, Justin, that um, another song that's been revolving in my car as I drive has been Survival by Muse. Mm. I love that fucking song. Man, we listened to Muse the other day. Muse was a band. I remember when Jordan got a Radiohead tattoo, something in me was like on a music kick of getting a music tattoo for some reason. My favorite band at the time was Muse. And um, I was glad. I remember years later thinking like, man, I'm glad I didn't get that Muse tattoo because I kind of fell away from whatever love I had for Muse for whatever reason. And it may have been the direction they went after a couple records after that. But recently, and I still have yet to do it, maybe because I just moved and we didn't have internet and I wasn't downloading stuff onto my Spotify. Man, the newer Muse stuff that is out, the stuff that I hear on the radio if I'm flipping through and something comes on Sirius or something comes on the actual radio is so fantastic. It's amazing. It's so out of control how good it is from all levels. I mean, you you can't, you know, from... The songwriting, each individual instrument, how great the tones are, the production, the mix. I mean, it's. I mean, look, I've been, I've been so hearing. Good. I've been hearing for years from from people that they're like the biggest band in the world, right. and it's arguably true. I, I mean, not the biggest band in the world, but they're one of the biggest bands in the world. There's Absolutely. a reason for it. There's no mistake. Um, a couple, a couple others. I just want to name for those of you who are looking for some maybe new influences or new music to check out. Um, there's a band called Disperse, which is a new band. Um, my buddy Mike Malian plays drums, and uh, Jakob Sateki is the main guitar. He's a guitar player and writer in the band. That record is incredible. I've always been a fan of Dredge. For anybody who's who's not familiar with them, they're great. Um, there's a artist named Father John Misty. Who, if you like some really cool, if you like Fleet Foxes, yeah, stuff like that. Um, Fiona Apple has always been a huge dude. I went so fucking hard into Fiona Apple, yeah, and like, her, like but like 20, 2000, 2006, maybe. Um, like, uh, was it well, no, was it was it when the pawn extraordinary machine? Well, oh, no, the man. pawn record that was the second one. Yeah, that was in '99. That's like so. A, it was like Extraordinary a, Machine was 2005. Right. right. Quest. So maybe that was the on one. That. Yeah, that's yeah. Between Questlove and like Matt Chamberlain. Damn, it's amazing. Um, there's the, these two sisters, First Aid Kit, who I don't know if anybody's familiar with that. Yeah, they like, would they would play. I remember they made like a tour with Brand New or something a long time. They're ago. incredible. Yeah. I see the name a lot. Those girls are incredible. This band isn't around anymore, but Foxy Shazam, man, like that fucking band. You go hard for Foxy Shazam. I, I only know two people. Ever who went super hard for Fox? I lo- well, I love Queen and like just their sound very much is is sort of um, you know it stems from that world. I think. Do you um, love Taylor Hawkins because he loves Queen? I love Taylor Hawkins absolutely. I've been listening to this electronic artist lately called Gunship. Um, let's see. Did you ever get into like EDM music though? Yeah, I mean not not in the sense that I would like go to EDM shows and stuff like that, but I really appreciate the music. Do you dance? I can dance, yeah. I mean, if I'm, I don't believe that at I've all. Never seen yeah, you dude, you got to make a video. Yeah, I can dance. I'd love. To, we should go to a race car bed show. Okay, I mean, oh, I'm go. so in for this. Um, there's a band called Half Moon Run that I'm really into. Who I've showed you, Jordan. Um, it's funny the dr- the drummer of Paramore, Zach, 
um, has a project called Half Noise, which is all one word, which is fantastic. People are probably going to hate on me for saying this, but like I loved, loved the first Halsey record. Like that record is just so sick. Good man, as I Benny mean, taught me. Don't yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't give a fuck. I mean, yeah, I'm thinking, like, who's gonna hate on you? Who cares? I mean, I hear it all the time. I hear people say stuff about Halsey, and I'm like, whatever, man. Like, just listen to the songs; they're fucking great. Um, I could go on all day. I, like, there's just so much music that I listen to, and a lot of times I'll just put my phone on shuffle mode, and just whatever comes on comes on. Speaking of awesome artists that Jordan you played with was Paris Monster and Josh Dion, the drummer who sings and plays keyboards and plays the drum set all at the same time and fucking crushes. He's, uh, he's a minor artist as well, a fairly new minor artist, and uh, it's, he's just fucking amazing. Yeah, that dude was on another level, and most importantly, he was just super nice. Yeah, he came over to me, like said what's up, stood, you know, stood next to me and watched your guys' set, and then he was like, hey, man, want a beer? And I was like, no, but he was like, cool, see you later. <laughs> but it was, I don't know, it was just awesome being around him. Um, I like Carnival for those that don't know with a K with a K Carnival V O O L at the end. I'm just for those of you who who uh, are curious. I'm just flipping through my uh, my Apple Music right now. That's cool. I haven't heard of a lot of these bands you're mentioning, dude. The the A Perfect Circle live album, incredible, is also one of my favorites. Live at Red Rocks, incredible record. Have either of you listened to the band? Vola, V O L A. No. Yeah, Adam Yanzi is playing. Drums Adam Yanzi, who puts out, who's a you know, I mean, one of my favorite, probably my favorite. He's one of my. Sorry, everybody else. So he's one of my students who became one of my favorite drummers to watch Groove. It's not even that. I mean, and he's he's a fantastic drummer, but he's one of my favorite people in the Chocolate Croissants uh, Facebook group, which Matt eloquently went over. You know, www.facebook.com. Yeah, I wonder if Adam uses. Those W's. I don't know. I wonder. Maybe he'll make a video for us. We should find but, out. But I want to check out this band because he put out, and this is great for anyone out there who's looking to maybe progress in a different way, take a different route to finding bands and people to play with. He would do these amazing covers where not only would he play the drum part, but he would add all these interesting percussive pieces and he would have kind of like if you ever watch his acapella videos where someone sings everything. You got to send people to watch the Motormouth one because he's doing all sorts of percussion. Oh, right. oh yeah, he's out of control. He's yeah. like he's like he's like flailing uh what looks like like I mean like it plants. looks like it looks like, like plants flying around. I mean, he's incredible. He stomps on grass and sand and he uses like coat hangers that he opens up and like, you know, like these metal rods that he smashes on the ground to get certain sounds. That I actually wanna, reminds me. This. Yeah, you know, you got to we'll see post this. it and in the group. He's in the group. Adam, he, if you're listening, share all your stuff. Yeah, he's his stuff is the best. I think share it he, in the share thread. Wait, though. wait, he's in Don't just start don't just start putting stuff like in the random like <laughs> I'm going to just start putting his stuff No, everywhere. we can't. Come okay, on, okay. we got to no, stay no, no, no. for him. No, I freaking love him and I think I think his stuff is fantastic and his groove is awesome and he's very engaged in in what the three of us are doing and supporting what we do and then I love throwing support back to him. I couldn't have been more pumped about a dude from the group was putting out these great videos and a band that he had done a cover of, found the video, asked him to come fill in on some summer tour dates, and the next thing you knew, they're announcing that he became the guy. He's the drummer now. Wow. He's the drummer of the band. Yeah. yeah. So, good for you, Adam. Yeah, dude. Good for you, man. It's crazy. Uh, we, we should talk about that a little bit because there's a number of drummers in particular that I've been lucky enough to meet at their 
younger ages who are now on tour playing arena arenas and fucking stadiums and it's insane and i'll talk about that in a second there's just a if, if it's cool, I just want to dig into that for a second, but I want to share a couple more artists that I think are really key for some people or maybe. So there's an electronic artist by the name of Trifonic, which was a huge influence on me and still is. I really got into a whole 21 pilots phase. If you're into lyrics, I would highly recommend that you spend some time listening to 21 pilots. Like I know they're mainstream now and people don't like mainstream, but go back and study. I mean, listen to this current record that's out, but go back and study their other records and pay attention to the lyrical content because some pretty brilliant shit. I think I've, like every student I teach asks to learn their stuff. They're fucking great. They really are. I um, had a whole, I had a whole crazy story of, of buying a newer bass and it sounded cheap. And I was like, cool, I'm going to flip this and it's going to be great. I'll play it in the meantime and then sell it. And the next thing I knew when I went to do some research on it, I found a whole thread that this bass was stolen and I was able to get the bass back to uh, the original place that I bought from a guitar center in New Jersey. And when the band toured through Philly, they were able to stop off, grab the bass, and, and I was able to get it back to the original owner. The bass player was in this, this band called Chef Special, and they're on Fueled by Ramen, I believe, of which there were all these bands trying to get, and I think this was last summer, the tour for 21 Pilots and Mute Math which was interesting because the last time I think I'd seen Mute Math was Jordan and I played with them in downtown Baltimore in like 06, maybe. And so it was like, you know, 10 years later and they were still absolutely crushing it and on tour 21 Pilots. And so, you know, I got to, my fiance and I got to go out and see Chef Special and I got to see this bass that I had bought back in the hands of the original owner. And then I got to see Mute Math and I got to see 21 Pilots who wasn't really on my radar except for, the singles that were on the radio and man on top of lyrical content was great and two great musicians like monster musicians but their theatrics are out of control yeah their live show is awesome like magic tricks i also like the 1975 a lot lately been spent a lot of time with their records and i mean i've again, heard a song i can't i can't do it it doesn't you i don't you, get into you can't it judge them by one song There's, i've listened to the album it doesn't do it for me you have to listen to both albums because Jordan, it really, I mean, that band's another band who just keeps evolving into different things and using cr creative sounds to write their songs, creative ideas. The drum parts are fucking great. Um, you should give them a chance because it's there's some very, very cool stuff. But I'll try again. Maybe give me you know the three songs that really get you going, and we'll check those out. Again. But the, but this is so this is crazy. So particularly a couple of these guys. So there's a student of mine named Jeremy Schaefer who I've known for many, many years. Jeremy's an interesting kid because uh, he used to be overweight. He used to be really fucking annoying. He used to drive everybody nuts, including like Mike Johnston and JP Bouvet. And he knows this. I've told him to his face and we've had lots of talks about this. And Jeremy took control of his life at a very young age. He was like 19. He dropped... I don't know how much weight, but went from being an out of shape, sloppy kid to being like, looks like a model now. I mean, the kid looks great and really took it seriously and really cares about himself and did it healthily. Didn't, didn't do it irresponsibly and was very, very like researched. Like how can I get healthier, you know? And on top of that, the one thing about Jeremy that's always been consistent is that he's always been an amazing drummer and not about chops or showing off. I mean, pocket. And he posts videos all the time of himself playing these country groups that have so much space and maturity to them and they crush. 
And for many years, Jeremy had been coming to me, to JP Bouvet, going to Mike Johnson's camps, seeking advice, seeking experience, wanting to figure out how to be a professional performing drummer. He even went to Berkeley and didn't enjoy it. And he just decided, you know what? Fuck this. Like I did a year at Berkeley. This is not for me. I'm going to move to Nashville. And now he's in Nashville when he's home. And otherwise he's going on tour playing fucking arenas opening for like, you know, playing in bands that are opening for Thomas Rhett and Old Dominion and all of these huge country bands, right? And that's essentially a, a, a close story to Richie Martinez, who's another great drummer out there, student of mine who was living in Houston, Texas and didn't necessarily know what to do. He started getting very involved with social media content and producing videos of himself. And that took off for him and started doing really well. And he was able to get some endorsements because of it. And then the next thing you know, he makes the move to Nashville. And over the past month, he's been out on tour playing stadiums. This has been Rivers and Rust. Yeah, River and Rust, I think, or something River like Rust. that. They're on tour with Matchbox 20 and Counting Crows. Exactly. So it and and there's so many stories like this. There's Adam with getting this Vola gig, or my buddy, um, my my student Simon um, Sednes, who is a Norwegian kid who's out playing with all sorts of bands, and he's out teching for Mike Portnoy, you know, on their tours, and just was posting video recently of uh, of him staying at Mike Portnoy's house while he's on tour with Hawken. Uh, and I could just go on all day. Anoop Sastry is doing amazing Dude, things. Dude, Anoop is a monster. Alex Rudiger is doing amazing things. And the the thing that's consistent about all of these guys that I've mentioned is they have just not given up and they've been willing to do whatever it takes and to live through the the slow times in order to get to where they are now. And it's pretty awesome to see. It really is. So when you mention someone like Adam, who I know has been through a lot personally in his life, to see him doing what he's doing now and uh, just go from being a student asking for advice to like crushing it, it's just, I don't know. It's like, that's all you could ever ask for. You know, you want people that are going to take lessons from you to take whatever they can from it get more and more from other people too and their own experience and then fucking run with it. And these dudes have fucking ran with it. And it's so inspiring to see and I couldn't be prouder or more proud of all of these guys that I just mentioned. And there's a bunch that I'm forgetting. And he said that opportunity came from him just making his own videos and publishing them. I'm pretty sure that's how the story went, that he had done a cover of one of the songs off an album they put out in 2016. I'm pretty sure this is how it goes. Actually, I just went on Spotify and downloaded the record so I can check it out on the way home. But the next thing you knew, because I follow him on his socials, I was seeing him pop up playing these festivals. And then and then I, I, one morning, a couple mornings ago, maybe a week ago, I opened up my phone and there's a picture of these three dudes with him standing right in the front like with his thumb pointing back at himself like, huh? Like, I'm the dude, and he became the guy. Well, it goes to show, I mean, you put stuff out there, you know, you're in a better position for things to start coming back to you. Especially if you just be yourself and you work hard at it. And that is the thing with all these guys. They, they're all different drummers, completely different drummers. They play their different body styles, like the way they're physically built. They, they play with just different attitudes, but they're all dedicated. 
and this really goes back to the point that Jordan made that you you may listen to all these other players and play all their stuff. Me as a bass player, it could have been Victor Wooten or it could have been playing Victor Bailey stuff or, or it could have been Pino Palladino. You know, I mean, you could really just Jaco Pistorius, anyone who's out there. But if it wasn't me and it wasn't being authentic, then it's not really serving you. And so you can listen to all these other influences and learn from all of them, but then start to hone your craft and develop your own style and put that out there in the world. And, and you can see what the, you know, the, as Jordan think, you know, you just said that it's better to put it out there and just see what happens. Justin, in, in the past like six months, what are like a half dozen artists or records that you've been coming back to? It's so funny. When we first started doing this, I, I hear Carly um, singing Thundercat, like randomly singing Thundercat. So I'll put on the new Thundercat drunk, which is out of control. And I hear her singing like, I feel weird, beat your meat, go to sleep. And it's amazing. It's incredible. Um, that is a, an extremely eclectic record that I think... Um, Man, there's there's so many influences all over that record. Freaking Michael McDonald and uh, is on that record, and that's amazing. Um, we listened to while we were we were renovating the house. We would a lot, oftentimes we would put on the new Kendrick Lamar Dam, um, which is a great record. It's funny as I was thinking about this, there there were a lot of records in the last six months, and this is typical for me, where I listened to it like one or two spins through. And unlike Matt, where Matt was saying he'll just hit shuffle, I like to hear a whole album as a piece of work. And and I've been feeling this way a lot for, I don't know, probably a decade plus, where I'm, I'm like waiting for a record that has just ridiculous longevity. And I remember, I think it was 2005 or six, Timberland produced the Nelly Furtado record Loose and Justin Timberlake's um, Future Sex Love Sounds. And at the time, I think that was, I was still buying CDs and I bought the two CDs and like they just didn't come out of rotation for six months. And I'm always longing for that. Um, when, when the weather is really nice, I generally turn to Every Time I Die. Um, I listen to the newest record a lot. And I know that the members of the band said that they really found their voice with that record. And it's still amazing, you know, what seems like 13, 14 years later to go see that band and have that, that same uh, like, like guttural release with them, which is fantastic. I mean, it was the first time Jordan and I went to see them downtown. How long ago was that? A couple months? Yeah, probably springtime. Okay, so springtime. So three, four months ago. And it was like the first time I like crowd surfed and stage dive in, in probably 15 years. You know, um, I like laced up my boots for that one. I was super pumped. There was no guardrail, and I just was like, dude, put me up. Did you lace up your boots for this one? Because you're wearing some boots. No, these are different. I was wearing like like Doc Martin style dude. combat boots. Yeah, like like dude, I was like ready for you know for like war. I loved that. That was incredible. Yo, can we just give a quick shout out to Tyson? Hell yeah. Yeah, I, I heard him breathing, snoring. He was being great. Yo, Tyson is my biggest inspiration and influence in life. He's been he's been great. He's he's always great. Like you, you had to warm up to him a little bit, I think. Uh, I don't think Jordan is around as many dogs, except for like like our parents' dogs. Yo, there's nobody else that Tyson loves besides me, as you, Justin. Like he loves you. 
Like, I and think I about, love him. He's I think great. about if I left him with you, he wouldn't be sad. Like if I just was like, all right, see you guys later. He would just he'd be like, oh, I'm with my other dad. Not that I even thought uh, about dog that. voice with my dad. <laughs> when I showed up to grab Tyson, uh, Jordan and Matt were hanging out earlier, right across from where Jordan lives, getting some food. And I saw Tyson there, and I was like, man, he doesn't want to just lay here. Let's go for a walk. And I kind of just took the leash, and I said to Matt, you know, hey, dog dad, can I take him for a walk? And it was pretty seamless. He's just chilling, looking at me right now, licking his chops like, yo, dad, let me get on bit, the mic, son. Sneezing a little bit, yeah. Anyway, what were you going to say? Wait, l- let me... Um, so as I'm flipping through, actually, it's funny. Luke Bryan comes up on here, and we were just talking about country. Uh, my fiance's dad, who was the contractor doing all the, the lead work on the house renovation, huge into pop country. I've had some like Breaker Breaker 1-9, you know, she's a flatliner, stuck in my head for a week now. Wow. Yeah. I'm so ignorant to that entire culture. I don't think you really are because I think all it really takes is, you know, like a twangle in the voice and it just sounds like pop music. Like Luke Bryan. Sure. And I'm completely ignorant to that entire culture. Sure. I just don't know anything about it. I'm not familiar with the artists involved. I'm not familiar with the songs. I just, I am by definition ignorant to it all. Sure. I mean, obviously you can get influence from anything you listen to and the other night while... Carly and her dad were installing a fan. I put on the Luke Bryan essential, just stream through his singles, and there's, you know, it, it runs. There's dozens of them. And I was playing bass along with them. And talk about, Matt was talking about his, his uh, student who's a drummer, and there's so much space. Talk about, like, you know, saying what you need to say and nothing else. Perfect amount of space. Like, playing the rest. Fully committed to playing the rest. That was the, the, the better part of his singles. And so playing the Luke Bryan singles was, it would be really interesting to take someone who plays like Matt's genre and then have them play something as simple as that. But there's a lot of guys who, who, who can do that. And who, you know, like my buddy, Steven, uh, or I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Steven cook who plays drums for Dan and Shay. Um, fucking like, he can shred. He's playing receiving end of sirens. You know, know, you know that we keep. You know, Brian was courted by Casey to join that band at one point. Yeah, I auditioned for them too way back in the day, like way before I joined Periphery ever. Oh wow! Yeah, Trevor Simpson recorded me in his basement. That's wow. incredible. You made a good decision. I don't know. I mean, yeah, but but that would have been awesome too. Like, I would have loved to play for the Deer Hunter, but the Deer Hunter got Nick. Crescenzo, Casey's brother, who's a monster drums, drummer, yeah. to play drums. So. And he sang backup. Nixon, an incredible musician. Actually, funny enough, Bagel, race car bed, Bagel and I were always together in that era. And we went out to see Casey when, and that was like, that felt like another guy, as you were talking about, I'm, I'm, like he is legend, that got pigeonholed into, like, it, it, they were like in limbo. So they never really found their footing of how... Because, I mean, the deer hunter could have been what um, Portugal the Man is today. That's the, the one band that my mind went to of a band that, I guess, found footing in that genre but were able to find their way out. And now, I mean, they're on the biggest run of their lives. Right, and, and it's, it's interesting because we talked about it. We just, you know, I was just saying every time I die, and we've spoken about this a bunch of times, every time I die, wrote out this really weird phase of music 
and they played the long game. And now they have this like seniority and they've been around and people still love them and they're getting exposed to all these new audiences because there are these new progressive bands that they'll go out on tour with and they'll play direct support and then eventually they'll do a headline. I mean, they're really just playing the long game and making the most of it and it's it's great because now they'll put albums out, they'll start charting higher and higher on Billboard the first week and this exposure is really, it. I mean, they're very fortunate they made it through and to the other side, where a lot of these bands really didn't. The Deer Hunter, uh, when 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 Casey put out that first EP, I remember going. Anthony Green from Seocean and and um, Circus Survive was doing holiday shows, and it seemed like they kind of ran with the Receiving End of Sirens and some of these other bands that that kind of got lost on a pop punk label, playing different music, and we saw this throughout all the time Jordan and I were playing music, we always saw bands that just got lost on the wrong label and they didn't know how to market or push you. And it, it sucks because it was right before the boom of being able to do everything yourself. And, if, and maybe if a lot of these bands had pushed themselves in the way that the, the direction they should have gone and the way they could have navigated their own careers, they could have flourished and actually have done so much more than getting stifled. And, and then eventually you fight and fight and fight and you just... you a lot of people just give up, you know, because you just feel like you can't go anywhere. Well, that was a weird time for the labels too. I mean, absolutely. It, it just unprecedented. And you see more and more bands that are just DIY now and that are, that are taking those steps to do that because uh, the label game is kind of different now. I remember, you know? I think it was clap your hands, say, yeah, you guys remember that name? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember that band. And I think that was the first one. I think I remember it correctly. It was something like they, they had sold like a hundred thousand albums as well, like a DIY they like, band, they were one of the first bands that it was really Pitchfork, and, and a really good review kind of put them on the map. Not, you know, not unlike an Arcade Fire at right. the time. Right. It's interesting. Speaking of Arcade Fire, put out a new record this year. Kind of fell flat for me, but mm. that song "Creature Comfort" is like a fucking all-time classic for me. But I've found this year in particular to be amazing for new music. Um, I mean, Saint Vincent, she's my favorite guitar player in the world and top five songwriter and performer in general. Um, Does she have a new album? Yeah, she just put out the video for New York today. I'm going to see her in D.C. in November. Uh, There there is a record coming without a release date, I Mm. think. Um, Queens of the Stone Age just put out a record I've been listening to a lot. Um, LCD Sound System is putting out a record and they released another song. Now I think it's up to maybe four songs pre-released that are out and they put two of them out in the spring around the time they played on SNL and I legit listened to those songs like 10 times each a day for like a month straight for whatever reason those songs captured me I I love that band what's your love for LCD Sound System Matt do you have any thoughts on LCD Sound System because like LCD Sound System is a band to me that I think I was maybe a couple years too young to understand what they were doing, but I was the only one one year at Bonnaroo who stayed up till three in the morning. Brian, who we keep talking about, was just super drunk, somehow stumbled out, got cheese fries. I don't even think he likes cheese. Made it back to his tent, and the next morning, I found him half in his tent, half out of his tent, and somehow I stayed there, and I, I think I was a little drunk too with Brian, and somehow I'm like in the middle of this circle pit, and I'm like jumping up and down, and I'm looking at the stage, and I don't even know what's going on. I think I understood who 
James Murphy right. is, was. But then there was all these other people in the band that it made zero sense to me. I had no recollection of ever seeing anything they had done. Maybe I knew that one song, Girls or something. I don't know. That sounds like a beast. Drunk Girls. Drunk Girls. Right? I'm thinking of Beastie Boys now. But yeah, Drunk Girls. I never got into LCD. It, it took me a little while. <laughs> uh, I, I, I Matt Halpern. Dude, Matt yeah. Halpern, 2017. Yeah, dude, I never got into LCD and sound system. I'm just well, you asked me. You were like, "What I did know, you think I, of that?" And you just kind of went off, and I was like, ah. uh, "But I never really got into them." All right, Jordan, ex- can you explain it to me? They feel very contemporary to me. Um, they capture this romanticized uh, idea or feeling that I have about like mid '90s quote alternative nation. So they they capture that for me, but yet they feel very contemporary, um, and I I do not attach myself to lyrics in general. Uh, lyrics are usually one of the last things that I pay attention to. As a drummer, it's kind of rhythm and feel first. Uh, but it's something about his lyricism, uh, the sense of humor. I love his cultural criticism, James Murphy's. Um, and, and they're just a rhythmic band first. They're a rhythmic band first. So that's what really draws me in. Um, they just feel good. I mean, they're... they're, they're I think that says best, it best. Man. They're a feel-good band. They feel great to me. Like, the energy from the clips I caught of the Madison Square Garden show that looked like on a different level, but that looked like a Dan Deacon show, like just fun. Sure, who's one of my favorite artists of all time, even being from Baltimore. But yeah, like like artists like that, it's it, it seems like they build community around their bands and their art and their music. Uh, so their shows are very, very celebratory in nature, kind of what we tried to create and capture with the band Boy Crazy we were in, where it's all about the people in the room and the experience of celebration and expression in those moments. And I feel like a band like LCD Sound System and Dan Deacon uh, really capture that. And that's really what I'm most drawn to in music. It's, it's community. I think you're great at creating the communal vibe at the start of the Reindeer set. And, and I love the, the jokes you crack on your bass player, but I definitely think that there, there could be so much more of that. And you're so good at facilitating that. I want to see more of that. At, you're playing Hamden Fest this weekend, the 9th? In two weeks from now. But yeah. Two weeks from now. Yeah, I think you should think of some ways to incorporate more of that all-inclusiveness, bring everybody in. Instead of just you know how most bands say, you know, all right, pack it in. Like Figure out a, another way to say that that's more dynamic and, and resonates more with the people. Yeah, we'll see. And I've actually thought about that more recently in the past few weeks. Um, I mean, without going into it, I'm going to start a new job in a completely different field in the next week uh, while still keeping all of you know the other stuff like Beatwell. But I, I've noticed that the common thread between whether being in these bands or doing Beatwell uh, or even this podcast and now this new venture that I'm going to be a part of the common thread is that I'm building community around everything that I do. And for whatever reason, that is a core motivator of my life. It's to, 
to build community around something that I feel very passionate about. And I think that's why I'm drawn to artists and bands that make that a priority. I really think you can take the Beatwell approach to the Reindeer show. And obviously, I think that was part of it, doing the clapping of it. But I really think I love that as simple as the tool is of just an egg shaker and you know, I'm sure for, for all the, the percussions out there, all it is is like a, a it, it shapes as an egg and it's got these little beads in it. When you shake it back and forth, it makes just a, a percussive noise. It's a shaker. It's a shaker. It's an egg shaker. I think you should look into maybe making reindeer egg shakers and you sell them like two bucks or something like that. And then like the whole entire show, you'll have these cues where you do something and boom, like everyone is like shaking to the rhythm or just dancing and having a great time. The same way Dan Deacon uses lights and the glitz and you know, the glamour of all that stuff to make it like, oh, you're not just here to see the show, you're a part of the show. And that's like, we went back to you know thinking about helping you do when you open for the Counting Crows at a, at a festival. It's like, you don't have to just be a spectator. You can make music too and be a part of the show. Well, I think that's really important for anyone listening, whether you're in a band uh, or really providing any sort of service. Uh, like, how, think, think to yourself, how can you uh, create more of an experience around whatever it is that you're sharing or selling? Uh, I mean, this is one of the reasons, I mean, malls, like shopping malls, will only survive in an Amazon world, if they start creating in-person experiences. Dave and, and Busters. And part of that, yeah, I mean, Dave and Busters are, are expanding just because it, it, it is a way to get people physically involved. And uh, I know when we were in the band Boy Crazy, I mean, even our merch table was an experience or destination. It was interactive. Right, and whether anyone actually bought something from us that was irrelevant we wanted to give everyone a quote brand experience and give them positive feelings to associate with that band at the time so this is a it's actually kind of a good time to dig into the next topic that we wanted to discuss yeah i think uh like an hour <laughs> plus of a uh, dude from I, Pennsylvania. I mean that's fine we have I, i'm loving this Wait, we haven't matt, done this in a while matt went off on so many bands i i just i gotta say a couple more things i know jordan okay. will will trip out on you know or he he would go off on <laughs> matt just swallowed the microphone um portugal the man has a new album out and it's been getting some spins for sure in my car as the same day Royal Blood put out a new album. And it's funny, this, I mean, this has been a year, and Jordan's in Queens of the Stone Age, and Queens of the Stone Age and Royal Blood are touring together, and they're like masters of the riff. Um, yeah, if, if you want to learn or, or get a nice uh, lesson in just writing these progressive rock, amazing riff rock riffs, those bands are second to none for sure. I mean, it's just, they're just fantastic. And I haven't even... I downloaded Villains, the new Queens of the Stone Age, and haven't even gotten into it. And it's funny, when I think about all the bands I love, there's this, like, there's this thread that runs through them of, of Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails and doing work and Josh from Queens wanting him to produce a record. And then he and Dave Grohl, I'm not the biggest fan you know, anymore of Foo Fighters, but growing up, loved Foo Fighters stuff and Nirvana, you know, doing a song together for that Sound City soundtrack and all these bands coming together. It's pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's funny. This has been a year where I know Jordan and I bought more concert tickets and wanted to go to more concerts this year than like than than any any other year in the past I can really think of. Dude, this was amazing. And one almost in just like the month of July, I've seen Paul Simon, Gorillas, 
Hans, Hans Zimmer. Zimmer, Spoon, uh, My Man, Morning gr- Jacket, Gary Clark Jr. I forgot we went to Gorillas. Re- Gorillas was amazing. Incredible. Did you go to Incubus too? No, fuck Incubus. Dude, I see. Uh, I would have gone to Incubus Fleet Foxes. for sure. I saw Animal Collective. Uh, no, Incubus are cool. I, they haven't made me feel a thing in probably fifteen years. I just I, I couldn't remember you were going to Merriweather so much. I thought you might have that seen show didn't go. If that, that was at Merriweather, I would have gone to that show because. Not that the new album was incredible, but I Ben. I mean, as like individuals, for me, I was always big on individuals in a band versus Jordan may have only cared about the the band as a cohesive unit. But like, I shit it all over Ben Kinney when he joined when he left the Roots and joined Incubus. Ben's a man, dude, but he didn't pop and slap like Dirk did. So then I was like, you know, being a a hater for sure. But you don't feel that way now. Oh, f- oh my, he's flawless. He's amazing. Let me take back what I said because I feel bad. <laughs> uh, Incubus are a great band, but yeah, I, I mean, don't be it, a fucking music elitist. All right, you're like a troll. You, if you told me, if you like, I, I Incubus sucks. I mean, I don't really care to go see them, but well, I'm that's rooting fine. for I, them. There's a lot of people that I, that I don't care to see, but you know, it'd be nice. I saw I saw band. <laughs> I saw members of your band, Matt, that went to Virginia. That's it's far for us to make it. There's a venue. Who's a Bristow? Bristow. There's yeah. a venue about two and a half hours from where we are, where a lot of major tours will only come through and hit that market because they can pick up Jiffy Lube Pavilion? Jiffy Lube Live. Yeah. Uh, Nissan Pavilion. Yeah. Like John Mayer was yes. just there last weekend and I was really itching to go to that show because you get to see Steve Jordan on the drums and Pino Palladino and like speaking speaking of fucking John Mayer. And Mark Holcomb. I so, asked Mark about. Did he? Mark was in fucking New York City. They're hooking up, right? They're like, like doing it. They're that, bros. They hang out. Wait, 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 wait. Mark was doing. Um, what was he doing? Classes. Clinics. Clinics in New York, and I asked him, and I don't know if he went or not. But John Mayer opened for Dave Chappelle. At Radio City, one of the nights oh, doing that comedy, he was there, yeah. right? And and if you ever saw, if you haven't seen this, go look up John Mayer's show on YouTube because he had one on VH1. That was good. It he, was incredible. He dressed he, up as a bear. He hosted, um, I guess, in, once uh, Craig, not Craig Kilborn, who, Craig Ferguson, that, Craig Ferguson left, and and before uh, James Corden, they had uh, you know guest hosts each week, and John Mayer did a week. That's and Phil Lesh was a musical guest. That's how he ended up in what is like. The Grateful Dead now. Um, Bob he, Weir. B- Bob Weir. My bad. My bad. Close John enough. Mayer is the man. He's Dude, he got a, He got a tattoo with Ed Sheeran, like where they didn't know what they were getting tattooed and they each picked out tattoos. Mean, that was an incredible week of shows. We should have him on this podcast. I would love to have Mark Holcomb and John Mayer <laughs> no, together on no, the podcast dude. because right, no, 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 no. Okay. They both play PRS guitars, right? So that's how the, the initial True. intro was made. But Mark is a funny motherfucker, and John is a funny motherfucker, and the two of them together could be funny motherfuckers together. They could be called the funny motherfuckers. Man, I want to get in on that. I'm trying to do some like Fed content collab with Mark. You you are pretty funny, but you know who who really who blew my think mind you the other day was Benny. Benny Greb was great. Like when he was talking about how when he found you naked in the woods, oh you're such a player. That was amazing. That sounded like Conor McGregor. Oh, I can't. I mean, who knows what that that accent was? But we've had some funny people on this show, which has been really cool. Yeah, it has been. We need to get some funnier people. Yeah, like uh, John Mayer. Yeah, I'm into it. All right, but do are we you, have any? 
We right. need a comedian. We'll get okay. All right, we'll get some comedians. Guys, tell us who you want on the show too, because we you know, we know who we want to interview, but we would love to know who else you guys want us to interview. It sounds like nothing is too far now. You know, John Mayer is not too far out of reach. No, seriously, like we should try to get John Mayer on this show. I think Why we not? Should, I think okay. we should put out That's not impossible, especially if he's hooking up with Mark. Dude and Jimmy Haha was here. We can do anything now. Right. All right. I agree with you. So next topic that we need to dig into, which stems <laughs> from a question from Nico Killips from Michigan. He was curious about uh, essentially like using money wisely in the context of entrepreneurship. Um, how, how we individually have materialized capital for our specific endeavors or if we've raised money for specific businesses or things like that. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I, I can say a lot about that, but I don't know if you guys want to chime in first. I mean, I've never tried to create an operation like you did with Band Happy where there's a lot of legwork up front before initial launch. I mean, I've never really had to invest much money up front into a business in the sense that I've found ways to make it first. So for instance, with Beatwell, you know, I had some percussion laying around. Uh, friends would donate small hand drums or shakers or tambourines or whatever. And when we wrote Beatwell, I did it a year and a half for free just to get experience and build a network and testimonials and whatnot. But once I started making money, I invested that money to get more equipment. So with that, it's never like there was a loss. If anything, it would just been a loss of time and energy. Right. Um, with the bands that we've had, you know, we were fortunate enough to have gear. But even like, I worked all of high school and then spent a couple grand on legit drums, uh, and we would hustle and make money and, and and invest that money. We weren't paying ourselves in bands, but that would go into uh, promotion and touring, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that that's what all small businesses need to be doing, you know. It, when you same make thing with this podcast. Same thing with this podcast. Yeah, we were. I mean, we are essentially self fund. We we are self funding this. Um, you know, we're bootstrapping it, so to speak. We're putting everything back into it, and that's how every business I've been a part of has operated for a very long time. It's just like now, finally, like with with GGD. You know, we're starting to pay ourselves a salary, um, but it's taken a, a long time, and we're still being very, very frugal about what that salary is because we're investing the overwhelming majority of our revenue back into the company to build it further. So, yes, like it's important to be able to eat. It's important to be able to pay your bills, but when you're starting a company, and everybody's heard this before, if you're starting your own entrepreneurial venture, you know, you got to bootstrap, you got to be as creative as possible. You have to try to figure out how to do things for for free, if not as cheap as you can. Don't draw from the well, you know, like put everything back into the company. And if you have to work a crazy amount of hours doing other jobs to fuel and pay for your dream job, you know, you have to invest like that with with band happy fuck i mean that was like i didn't know what i was getting myself into i really what didn't. did you get yourself into i started a business that needed money a lot of money to get it up and running because i didn't I, i'm not a, a programmer or a web developer 
And it was very, very hard at that time to find a partner who would be willing to come on for equity for the amount of work that was required and the amount of time that was required. And there was zero money up front. So whoever came on to build the platform needed to be working on it full time for no pay. And I really didn't have the money to pay. So I went around to friends and family first. Like I, first I started with my grandfather, then I, you know, I'm, who I was lucky to have around at the time and he's not with us anymore. I missed the shit out of him, but he was a huge supporter of what I was doing and invested in me. Um, I went around to my family's friends, you know, my mom and dad's friends. Did you have a plan and know what you needed? I did because I, so I knew what I wanted to do and my role in that business was always like the, the big picture vision. Like I, I knew where I wanted to go and what the purpose of the whole thing was. Um, but I wasn't good at the admin side or really understanding the proper steps. So I mean, I read a lot of books, but actually partnered with a very good friend of mine named Jonathan Rivlin who was a, a CPA, is a CPA, um, has worked with many small businesses, so he knew the ins and outs of, of that administrative side. He knew money really, really well. And I, I remember going to meet with him for the first time back in like 2007, 2008, and pitching him on the business, and he was a musician, and I, I somehow hooked him. Like I sold him on the, on the whole thing, and he became my partner 50-50 on the whole thing. And then we just started tapping into some of his clients that he worked with as a CPA. We started tapping into other friends and family and just we put together these decks, like these, you know, 10 to 20 slide decks that we would pitch band happy. We would pitch the business. Um, and uh, it was incredibly challenging and it was incredibly nerve-wracking because for the first challenge we had was to, was to try to figure out if we could raise money, right? Can we raise money? Then once you raise money, then you have this fiduciary responsibility to your investor to do things right and to fucking get them their ROI. And the pressure's on. And it's funny, um, I've raised institutional money from companies like Tedco and like different Maryland technology funds. And then I've raised private money from angel investors and friends and family investors. And... Um, I mean, no surprise, the institutional money is much harder to deal with because there's real milestones and deadlines that, that they set for you, which sucks. Like, I was not a fan of that process. And um, it's much better when you have someone who is like an angel investor who, who is not only able to provide you with capital, but to provide you with experience and to provide you with you know, actual um, talent, so to speak, you know? So I, w I, I was very lucky in, in, in being able to see all of these different sides of what it was like to be an entrepreneur. And I didn't have the kind of business because of the fact that we had to build this platform that we could just get up and running with nothing. It, there needed to be, at least in, in, the, in the enterprise version that it ended up being, it needed to be more than like the, the cumbersome version that I kind of put together to get people using this service, which I would imagine everybody under, knows what Band Happy was, but for those that don't, it was a educational platform where I connected 
musical artists with their fans through music education. So on the platform, we offered um, instrument lessons via video chat and all the scheduling and payment that, that went along with that. And then we also offered in-person lessons that either took place on tour while, while artists would travel around from city to city or even if you were like a local music teacher looking to get out of working in a music store or a school and you wanted to do your own thing, you could utilize Band Happy for the scheduling and the payment and all that stuff and it was really easy to manage. So it was like a ticketing service basically. But it was so cool to go through that whole process to learn how to raise money and how to pitch and what to do with the money. And we spent fucking tons of money you know, we spent people's money and thank goodness that the people that we took investment from were all what is called technically a sophisticated or a qualified investor. And usually this kind of person has a specific net worth. They aren't allowed to invest unless they have a set net worth. And then there's only certain, you know, there's certain caps that you have to place on, on their investments based on the valuation of the company. And, um, fuck what a fun experience right you know and the cool thing is it was all for a really good cause my vision for it was create a way for artists to supplement their income aside from being in a band so they don't have to fucking go and work in warehouses or restaurants or wherever they were working and provide a much more meaningful level of engagement for a fan or a student so that they can actually really get to know their artists that, that they look up to and learn something from them, not just get a signature or a photo. And because of that, because of the fact that it, I, I truly believe it still is a genuine mission, um, what's outlasted Band Happy is those kinds of experiences because I see bands and artists offering these types of things all the time. And that makes me really proud now. And I know I kind of went off topic with that. But at least, you know, saying what it means to me now, it's not, we're not talking about the finances, but. Um, but the vision was right. And the vision was right. And out just in other ways. But I mean, like credit to you, that's fucking ballsy to, I mean, that was a lot of money and a lot of time. I mean, maybe like over a year. I just remember throughout the year when I would see you, uh, you'd just be talking about this thing that you just kept building and kept building and. I, it, it seemed like at the time you had just a very clear vision. And what I remember taking away, we weren't that close back in like 2007 or eight, but I just remember being like, man, Matt, like he's, he's working. I went for it for sure. And I mean, you remember when we were out in LA yeah. staying with Dan and Alexi, that was a really scary time for me because I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do with my life. I mean, I, I knew I wanted to be playing music in some some level, but I wanted more and I knew I needed more because I didn't have a band at the time. I did not want to be a full-time session musician out in LA networking like I needed to, to do in order to do that. And I had this idea in the back of my head that there was a way to con- connect people through education because that's what I was really into. I was teaching a ton. And I remember... I remember seeing you a lot with Dan and Alexi and like I, I kind of split off from everybody and just went into a, a hole, went into my own world. Like I had my friends, but like I kind of, I, 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 I got away from these little musical side projects and I got away from all these other things and I started thinking much more selfishly about this idea. But that was good. And, and it's cool. And I often 
think about that trip uh, just to provide context, because especially to compare that to the success you've had over the past 10 years, uh, because I remember you you drove with your dog to LA, like across the country. You were trying to settle in into a new place, trying to figure out like how you would make money to live on. And, you know, you, you were playing in a band with them. I remember being with you guys and you're practicing like in a laundry room. And was it the Roxy you guys played at? Yeah, we played the Roxy. Yeah, I remember being there. I mean, like, you know, no one was there. It was the whole LA thing of like, just these dudes in suits, like giving me cards, trying to hustle me or whatever. Like it wasn't for what you guys were trying to do. Like it didn't seem to be the right fit. And it, it, it clear. And for me too, at that point, I just finished uh, undergrad and, and went out to LA just to vacation for a week. And it seemed like we didn't know where life was going to take us. We were trying to figure it out. But at that point, like it was kind of scary because we didn't really see a clear vision for ourselves and now 10 years later to see the the success that you've had, uh, 10 years later for me to feel uh, comfort in, in the success that I've had. And the fact that like we're doing this project right now in this moment, like I've always just thought back at that trip specifically as, as a really cool kind of like a bookend to, to where we currently are. Yeah, that was an intense time, man. But it was some of the best times like that trip out to LA. And then when I eventually went back home with Charlie, my dog, I mean, that was, that was such a relationship builder for me and him just because he was really all I had at that time. That was like certain in my life. And I had my friends, but, and my family luckily, but yeah, that was, that was part of the, that was an experience that really built that bond. And he inspired me as crazy as that sounds to like figure the fuck out of what I needed to do. And I, I did. And it was tough, man. I was living like, I was living with my parents at different times. I was, you know, living in the basement at my dad's and my mom's going back and forth. Me and Charlie actually got kicked out of my mom's house because there was fucking assholes in, the, in my mom's neighborhood who didn't want a big dog walking around. Wow. One asshole in particular who had to fucking go to court, like, like animal court. And I won. Like I won the case because this guy is a, just a fucking moron. I hope he's listening to this. I'll cut his tires what, what's animal court it's like i mean i can imagine but where do you go to there's like a court? dog it was in towson um did did a dog like, like a dog yeah, a, a dog a, a judge dog, and a dog a, jury a dog yeah dog judge dog jury <laughs> no i mean people have probably never heard me like get that aggro but i like i can't stand this person when it comes to dogs matt will end you yeah but we were I was I was on tour and my sister was walking Charlie and he's like a you know he's a big dog and he's strong and these little fucking dogs and I like little dogs no offense but like this, these little dogs that were untrained Shout out to Bella being Blake. walked by this woman who in my neighborhood in my mom's neighborhood who, no joke is walking these two dogs while reading a book and for those of you out there who have dogs you know that when you walk a dog you walk a dog you don't walk a dog and read a book or do anything else because if the dog sees a squirrel or a mouse or another dog that it wants to go run up and bite, it's going to do it. And if you're not paying attention, your dog is going to get away and get in trouble. And that's exactly what happened. This little dog bit Charlie and Charlie bit back because that's what dogs do. Good for Charlie. So they took us to doggy court. 
Yes. And I went in there, and I my case was simple. My dog was on a prong collar. My dog was on a short leash. The other dogs were on a long retractable collar and leash with a woman who was aloof reading a fucking book. Good word. And they said, hey, woman, don't walk your dog while reading a book. He doesn't have to pay you shit. She tried to sue you for money, like a she monetary She tried to pay me for the, uh, for the vet bills because Charlie snapped back at her little dog. And he like, like scraped He's like an, the dog. He was an English Mastiff? Italian. Italian Mastiff? He could like yeah. bite their heads off and be he done with it. He could have. But uh, I mean, anyway, there's a whole other side of the story we don't need to get into right now. Yeah, but, but there's this whole new thing of animal court that I'm fascinated It was in by. Towson. It was in Towson, like right by the university, like we're in the, you know. But was it one it was of like the circuit court? court? Yeah. Okay. Circuit court. Yeah. I had to go to circuit court and they heard the case about my dog and their dog. Did Charlie go through the metal detector? Uh, no, he didn't. But um, he actually dressed up that day. Um, <laughs> he was wearing a bow tie? No, he, he was like wearing like a, a workman's uniform. And he when he walked in, he said, hey, I'm here because I'm a ro- roofer. Roof, roof. <laughs> Get it? We don't need John Mayer on this podcast. There you go. Um, but I don't know. Matt I mean, Mayer. okay, so Justin, you you have your own businesses now, but you also had a very, very seemingly lucrative gear business, which we've talked about before. Where'd the money from that come from? Because that, that to me is like, that's a scary business because you have to buy gear like spend money on a card or with PayPal and hope that you can resell it. Yeah, I mean... And make a profit. Right. So, so, and you didn't... Where did that... How did that even start? So it really started... I was probably 16 when I got out of a certain phase of music and sold all of my gear and ended up just spending that money on some American-made Fender gear. And every year... I would buy a new American-made Fender, it seemed like. And I hit a point in my early 20s where I just acquired, and this happens in the gear world, where you just end up having, you amass a collection of stuff. And you say to yourself, one, you can only use one at a time. And two, the more stuff I have now, like the more problems I have. I have to keep up with all this stuff. And it didn't, it didn't make any sense anymore. And I actually then fell into a, a trade deal where I ended up with this 1971 P-Base, and Jordan was the one. I wanted to take it on tour. And he, he just made the point. He was like, if it was 1971, and you walked into the store and bought the instrument off the wall, that would be the one you would probably buy because you like it so much. There's no reason for you to not take it on tour. It's just stuff. And I said, yeah, you're totally right. And so I went ahead and subsequently sold all of these pieces I had. And that gave me five or six grand to play with. And really, that's all it took. It, it was having a little nest egg to play with to actually fund buying the gear. And then it just took my legwork of actually putting the work in of learning the market. And really, that just happened as second nature just because I was so invested in the love. I was like enamored with the gear that that's all I did. I sat on eBay and I would click newly listed because you can click lowest price, highest price, distance, best match. I would click newly listed, you know, the first ones that come up. And every day, like a hawk, 
five, six times a day, I would be checking the specific brands that I really loved, Ampeg and Fender Bass, Gibson Bass, very simple stuff. The other nice part of this was that it was more niche specific. It wasn't like I was looking at the guitar world, which almost seems like it's 10 to 1 guitars to basses out there. So I was fortunate that I got into a more niche specific portion of the of the gear buying and selling business. It would be like instead of selling drum kits, you're just selling snare drums. And you know everything there is to know about snare drums. It was relatively easy in that there were only so many makes and models in the vintage world of basses because it really only started in 1951 or 1952. So it, it actually was cool that the history seemed tangible. And it was almost shocking to me that years later, as I was doing this business, I read a book. This guy, Detlef Schmidt in Germany, I believe, wrote a book on, I think it was maybe like the first three years of the bass guitar. And this is a Fender, Clarence Leo Fender made the first electric fretted bass guitar, the precision bass, which almost all musicians still play to this day. The, the P bass is classic. And of the original, of the original first year, 1951, I think the, the number was there were 83 bodies and 75 necks that were out there. And so there should be some kind of compilation of maybe 75 of these instruments. And you think what people did over the years, not knowing these would be highly collectible, very valuable instruments, and they would modify them. They would damage them in some way and you know do all these hack jobs to them. I somehow, um, and it's crazy, that, you know, uh, a credit to all of the time that I spent doing the work uh, of researching and the, I guess, the, the balls and audacity I had of just trusting in myself that I knew the market so cold that I could buy things almost like sight unseen sometimes. I would say, just throw the money down and I'll wait for pictures later. Or like, just I would tell the guy who I'd always deal with who would help me buy these instruments, I would say, buy the instrument, send it to me, and I'll just check it out when it gets here. Because I always trusted myself more than some, some, you know, employee at a shop who may not know the market as well. And um, I was backpacking through Europe and Asia and I was able to buy enough pieces that the like five, six, seven grand that I spent while I was away, that when I got home with like, with no return grace period, because all this had passed, I think it was usually like three days with most pieces. I just bet on myself and said, I got this. I was able to recuperate the same funds and in that deal, one of the bases I ended up just like, I kind of saw bits and pieces of it. I said, I'm going for it. Ended up being a 1951 Fender Precision, one that wasn't chronicled in the book. And I think at the time we had found the base community as we, we had found maybe 34 or 44. And so I was like the next one and I had hit up the guy Detlef Schmidt and let him know that I have another one, and I sold it to a collector who had who now has nine of them, I believe. And the only thing he collects is the original first year. I mean, really incredible stuff. And it was just, um, it didn't take much. But I knew that I had to play a game where initially, because I only had so much capital to work with, and in that world, you could go buy one piece, could be everything you have, five grand easily. You know, especially if we talk about when Fender still owned Fender, it's called the pre-CBS era. Um, if you buy one of those pieces in the base world at that time, you may have spent twelve grand. Right. You know, you couldn't even do it. So you maybe you could buy 
uh, and I and and obviously that market at the time seemed like it was the top of the food chain and I wasn't ready to get to the top of the mountain yet. So I would start with where I knew I could start, which was in the 70s, where times were a little weird for Fender. There were these instruments that weighed like 13 pounds that nobody wanted because they knew would hurt their shoulder, it would be a pain to lug around, whatever else, when a typical, a really good bass might weigh eight pounds or so. And so I would buy these 70s basses and I would spend usually about $1,000 and in my head, I would say, well, I'm going to only buy the pieces that I know I can double my money on. So if one can become two, now I have some real capital to work with. And really, I just started where, one, I knew I could, and two, what seemed feasible. And from there, eventually, you keep going, 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 and then you can you know, get older and older where they become more expensive. Right. Yeah, that's rad. I just, I don't know. I think about doing things like, you know, buying and selling drum gear, buying and selling drum sets. Never mind the research and like the knowledge of the history that you need, but I I don't know. I've never been... It's so funny. Like I can invest tons of money into like a a, a technology business or something like that, but when it comes to like me having to like sell a piece of gear, it just doesn't interest me. Like it's weird. Like I'm... I don't know. I I actually thought I would have gotten way more out of it than I did. It was really enjoyable and it was super fun. And when I first started, I would I would travel. Um, I mean, I would like fly around or I would drive places and go to these vintage shows. Well, didn't you live in LA to like do that? Well, I moved to LA thinking, I think I was also kind of in limbo with life. Yeah, I graduated from college. I was doing this thing where I was making easy money flipping gear. And I was like, you know, it, it was, it's a whole different world, obviously from the mom and pop shops, right. you know, where you had to have a place in a dedicated position in the world and your market was whoever was around you. I had an eBay store and that was really it. That's all I had to have. You know, I could corner every single person that was out there. It's like, you know, the idea of leveraging social media that we talk about all the time. It's like you have millions and millions and millions of people at your fingertips. You don't have to like set up in your own town Right, that's yes. cool. But yeah, I mean, I moved to LA thinking, all right, I'm going to try to learn the guitar market, but I just didn't have, I was quickly able to say to myself, like, am I being authentic and fair to myself? And it was like, no, because I really just didn't care about the guitar. I don't, you know, I, I think even in part of it, you got to like play the instrument and make sure it's a good one. And like, I didn't have any interest in that. So you're always going to FedEx still. Are you still in that game at all? I'm still in the game, but, and this is like, this is, uh, you know, a good lesson like for Like the any, homies at FedEx know you by name. They're like, what's up, J-Dog? This is good for, this is, I don't know about all that, but sure. This is actually good for a lot of people. Obviously, you know, changing with the times is super important. And diversifying your interests and your portfolio of the things that you do is always great. And so for me, it was one of those things where it, it lasted. It had a shelf life, it seemed like. Buying gear for me had a three, four year maybe shelf life. And then it started to hit this this weird moment where all the prices I was looking at, everything was just higher than what I was used to. And you would look at it and you'd say, yeah, there's really no money left. So you wouldn't be sure what to do. And that's when I really just decided to look at other huge interests in my life, things like fitness um, and food, nutrition. And I just decided to say, I'm going to now go a different route and just see where this takes me because this is another, as as strong of a passion as I have for vintage 
bass gear and, and the bass in general as an instrument, you know, I don't know, 22, three years now deep of playing. It's like most of my life. I was nine years old. Well, it's know, a true I still passion. I absolutely love it. Right. It's a true passion for you. Exactly. But, so but I, cool. it's nice that I had other passions that I try to say, I tried to find what made me tick really. And I was fortunate enough. There were a couple of things and I was, and I'm able now, and I said this to Carly, my fiance today, that uh, I'm so fortunate that through with her support, and with you guys and with my family, like we've been talking about, is like I was able to actually scratch the itch of these passions and go for them because yeah. it takes it takes a lot of support more than just monetary support. So when it comes to stuff. Speaking of scratching the itch, and you said ticks, Jordan, how are you feeling? Because remember a bunch of episodes back, you were diagnosed with Lyme disease. Yeah, that was my favorite episode, episode ten. Oh, not my favorite. I know we this had feels... a whole episode eleven about that. I know, but how are like how are you? Are you are you okay? I feel great, man. Life is good right now. I don't know. I was on an antibiotic for three weeks, and uh, since then I haven't been tested. But I also haven't uh, felt any like effects that I could contribute to that. Um, what tipped it off was that I had a swollen lymph node. And I haven't had that since. That's great. Uh, That's good. You know, you and I, we went on a hike last weekend. It was very nice. And I'm definitely more uh, concerned about checking myself for ticks because I don't want to go through that again. But um, I don't know. We got a good podcast episode, in my opinion, out of it. So it all kind of played out well. Yeah, fair enough. Have you seen the... uh episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm in season, season seven, where Larry goes around suggesting to everybody that eh, you might have Lyme disease. You've been around some ticks? <laughs> no, but I want Wait to a now. second. I mean, that's my favorite show. Yeah. And the fact that I don't remember this so episode is So Susie, crazy. Jeff's wife, right. is kind of sick. Like She's not feeling well, and he's over the house, and he's like, were you in tall grass recently? And she was like, yeah, I was actually in the Hamptons or wherever, wherever it was. He's like, you may want to get checked for Lyme disease. It might be a tick. And it turns out that she had she got bit by a tick and oh, they caught amazing. the Lyme disease early. And then the whole irony of the whole thing is that in this season, that's when he's trying to bring back Seinfeld. He's trying to do the remake of, or, you know, like the, the, um, reunion, the reunion episode of Seinfeld. So they go and they meet with like, you know, whoever it is, the head of, what was the Like the executives. NBC. NBC. NBC, yeah. They go, to, yeah. they go to meet with the NBC CEO or whatever he is. And um, he kind of like, so, okay. So they decide they're going to do the show. This is great. This is a great way to wrap this up. They decide they're going to do the show. And in celebration, the dude from NBC is like, oh, Larry, like, you know, you Lakers fan, let's go to the game. You know, I'll get you tickets. So uh, the famous trip. Well, and the tickets for Larry and Jeff are like oh, way up in the nosebleeds. Like nosebleeds. And, <laughs> and the CEO, like the head of the, the, head of the network yeah, is yeah. down on the court. And Larry has, uh, or, or Jeff has these uh, binoculars, and Larry looks down and he calls the CEO while looking at the binoculars, <laughs> looking through, and the CEO like ignores Larry's call, and he's like, oh, fuck. So next thing you know, Larry tells the guy to fuck off. Ends That's up like in his office. Episode. Ends up in his office giving like a very begrudging apology, but the guy's like, oh, I'm sick. I'm not feeling well. And Larry doesn't say anything, and he like goes out into the like into the lobby, and he's like kind of envisioning like what it would be like if he told the guy 
that it might be Lyme disease and what if it is and it saves his life. And then he envisions like not saying anything and like envisions, envisions like the guy's funeral and he's like laughing. And it's just amazing. So if no one watches Curb Your Enthusiasm, you should because no. It's so brilliant. when I when I moved out to LA, I made a whole list of all the spots that Larry would go, like where he went, got coffee, he met Wendy wheelchair. Oh yeah, Wendy like, wheelchair and right. like <laughs> I tried to go to all these places, like like um the halal chicken. Remember that oh, episode? Yeah. yeah. Right? There's the um, Greenblatt's, I think, what, like the famous deli when you were heading Yeah, where they had, the, they had the, the, the sandwich for, um, for him, right? You know, yeah. what, you know what other episode was really good? But like, good? I tried to go to all these spots. That was why I moved to LA. You know what was another really good episode? The one with the with, same season where Richard Lewis um, brings a date to this restaurant and Jeff is like, oh, he's got another one. And I heard she gave him Roadhead. <laughs> and like when they go to sit down at the table, she's uh she like has this this like cosmopolitan drink. She's like, here, Larry, try it. And he's like, oh no. Like pushing it away. And like he, like she goes to like kiss him on the cheek and he like won't let her. And it creates this whole thing. And yeah, are we gonna have a viewing party October 1st? New seasons back. No, but you know what? But we're not? Why not? Hold on. This you is gonna tour? come out on Monday and on Thursday night. It comes out. Finally. Yeah, we talked oh, about wow. this this morning. Oh, wow, 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 wait, wait. So Thursday night. Is the opening night. Do we of, get midnight tickets yet? I mean, is I, have Alex t- I have tickets. Alex is not coming because Alex actually got hired by the NFL right, to go okay. shoot in Houston with what's going on there. Wow. Um, by the way, real quick. So one thing that I did today that I, I, I didn't tell you guys about um, I packed up a bunch of clothing that I didn't need, a bunch of stuff, Under Armour stuff, some shoes, some jeans, some shirts, all sorts of shit, and I shipped it off to this skate park um, in Houston that's accepting donations, like clothing donations for people. Can you send that to me? Because Carly and I just moved, and we both have like bags we were going to take to Goodwill, but we'll ship it. I'm going to post the address in the group for everybody. If you guys have anything lying around that you can pack up and ship off, that'd be great. Um, it's pretty unbelievable what's happening in Houston right now. I can't imagine going through that, even just from the standpoint of like me having Tyson. Yeah, dude, you're and a like, dog lover. Have you seen these dogs that are like chained? I mean, I, I'm like people have left, and their I'm dogs. an emotional dude. So like, you know, I just keep crying. People have left their dogs, just abandoned them, and like chain them I, to I, their like like leash them to a fence. Like so, at they least drown. Like, yeah. have, have you seen? Have you seen? I saw kittens. Like brother and sister, like brothers, twins, something like that. They were swimming in the water, and like, th- did you see that? Actually, the 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 most heartwarming thing I saw today. There was a line to get off the exit of people towing their boats, to just go, you know, put and like, who knows what could happen to their car and what I, people are just being so selfless. It's inc- I, I, there's actually one of my favorite UFC fighters, Derek Lewis, has this like monster oversized pickup truck that's that's you know lifted. And he just keeps showing. Normally, he just f- shows really funny shit on his Instagram and retweets, essentially, or like you know, regrams. He's just been riding around all day because he can ride through the water. Right, he's looking for it. people. Yeah, it's I mean, so incredible. So, if anybody listening can help in any way, even if you can't get down there physically to volunteer or anything like that, um, donate clothing because people have lost all of their belongings and whatever you can spare, please do. So, we'll post an, an address. 
um, that you can send things to. Just box it up. It's really easy. It took me, you know, 10 minutes to find everything in my room today. It took me another 10 minutes to drive and ship this box out. And we'll great. also put a link in the show description yeah, of this episode. For sure. So um, we did have one other thing to cover, but I know we're getting over the two-hour mark and we should probably wrap up, but this is something that we can probably dig into once we bring on a guest that might be more appropriate for this topic along with yourself, Justin. Um, fitness for musicians is a, is a question that we've seen a lot in the group that we've kind of dabbled into, You know, we, we've touched on, but um, maybe when we get Jeff or... uh, maybe another fitness expert we're working on getting somebody in here now as soon as possible. Maybe that's something we can dig into where we can talk more in depth about fitness for musicians. I mean, obviously the short answer to that is it it really just depends how... I mean, it depends on the context of your situation. If you're like a touring musician like Matt is versus someone who just plays at home, it's vastly different. It's more just fitness for life. I was going to say it's fitness for humans. It's just right. what's your. It's all relatively the same, but there just might be like, like Matt, for example, is a very aggressive drummer and Jordan's very relaxed when he plays. You Not know, anymore, man. Not since he started using I mean, the Pro uh, Mark Matt Halpert signature drumsticks. That is true. He, I mean, you hit hard. Oh, shit. High five. <laughs> what's up? They do <laughs> I mean, the work for me. You do hit really hard. And you play with a lot of feeling, you know, and you put that into like the emphasis of, of your dynamics. But Matt is is I mean, full on double kick and playing blast beats and and I I think obviously there are warm up mobility stretching protocols for all of that and then just doing some kind of dynamic warm up, you know, maybe it be just uh, jumping jacks or some air squats, just moving, getting some blood flowing to the places where you know you're going to be using. And that's pretty much as a as a drummer, that's full body. You know, as a um, you know, if if you're just sitting and practicing and you're a guitar player or a bass player, doing dexterity drills with your fingers, warming up your wrists and your forearms is obviously it's paramount. And actually, something that's interesting that I saw from all the years of playing bass. I actually looked like my my shoulder that holds the strap is kind of cocked as it's like pushed up in the air a bit. And so really just trying to think of all the imbalances you may have, like whereas you guys as drummers, if one hand is hitting always consistently on hats or or on the ride versus the snare hand or maybe the the leg that's not being utilized as much as the kick pedal, especially if you play a single pedal, Make sure that you switch. And I think I saw Matt actually talk about this stuff. Be as efficient with one as you are with the other. So work a lot on the imbalances. I think that would help a lot of people in, in you know simple fitness ideas. Yeah, for- even in everyday instances. Like if you're always using your right hand for things. Yeah, Matt said if you're using your right hand to brush your teeth, use your left hand. If you shoot pull with your right hand, shoot with your left hand. Just try. I mean, it's not going to be easy at first, but just try. When I lived in LA, I went and saw you and you said Trevor Simpson earlier. The two of us actually found each other at a, um, what was that? Um, the Common Thread Tour, maybe? At yeah. the Musicians Institute. Yeah. That was awesome. J.P. Pouvet and... And Mike Johnston. And Mike Johnston. Yeah. Well, I would love Full to circle. have those guys as guests on the show at some point. Maybe we can actually have... What would be cool is to have all three of us and then Mike and JP all at once. That would be a fucking blast. And Mark and John. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But I, you know, I like this idea of combining guests. You know, It really mixes it up a bit. So um, 
Yeah, we can dig into more of that stuff specifically on another episode again with with some of the fitness peeps that we got in the pipeline. Um, so next week, our guest is going to be a chef from a restaurant called The Corner Pantry here in Baltimore. It's like my favorite cafe, favorite lunch spot. They have amazing, they have an amazing bakery. Um, the chef is a British gentleman who married a, a woman from Baltimore and they opened up this this pantry. I stopped in there yesterday around 1, 1 1.30 thinking that like the lunch would be, you know, dead by that point. And I had to, I, I couldn't stay. Like it was packed out the door, lines out the door, amazing. And it's a small little cafe and they're just crushing it so hard. And, you know, it's funny, Neil would probably kick my ass for, for saying this, who is the chef, but I went in there one day and I was like, man, I, I'd love to have you on the podcast. And he's like, me? Why? Like, you know, we're just some small little cafe. Like, you know, nobody cares about us. And like, you know, we're just, compared to my peers, like we're just this tiny little thing. It's like, dude, it just, sh- what's crazy to me is that like, you don't have to be a drummer or a visual artist or a director to hate your own art. <laughs> which is what drives the majority of the best artists I know. And Neil is a perfect example of a chef who is incredibly talented, who I think and I can see is constantly working on his craft, but fucking like is just his own worst enemy, his own worst critic. Like we all are. I am for myself. You are, Jordan. Am I? I don't I, think so. I, th- I don't think so. I, I disagree with that. I think you are. I think you just, it comes out in different ways. You are very much into self-improvement and there's a lot of things you do on a weekly basis to, to improve yourself. In order to improve yourself, you have to know and identify with the things that, are, that you consider to be your shortcomings and your, your, the things that hold you back. But I don't equate that with the word hate. Okay, so maybe that's a very strong word for it. And, and, and I would even go as far as say it's the wrong word for it because I don't think anyone who is as successful as example as Neil hates what he's doing. But there's always a desire to improve. Of yes. course. And, and there's yes. there's and it's this pulling from both ends of being able to both acknowledge I've gotten this far and this is great but I'm only scratching at the surface of the potential of what I'm doing. And that's what continuously drives me. Right. Yeah, there you go. I actually probably identify more with Matt in um, almost like in the self-deprecating sense of, of, of like, man, there's so much more out there that may be better. And I think that drives me to want to be that much better at everything that I'm investing my energy into. Hell yeah. That's great. How hard was that workout we did the other or that I did the other day? Man, I was like Plus you were fasting, so that made it even tougher. But I was actually really excited because we may lack consistency of our of our training scheduling just because I was moving and school started up again and other things. And you've been doing a ton of amazing things recently, which is awesome. You know, but we come together and and really what's great about someone like you is you're always you're always trusting that whatever I throw at you, you're like, well, I guess I'm going to try this. And we went through a pretty hard workout. I mean, we had kettlebell swings. 
we had these these box jumps that had these agility movements that killed me sidestepping that was what was the hardest and it really was like i mean it was fast paced and it was it was you know this like jump training which called plyometric explosions you're yelling at me i know i was just saying jump and you were down and i'm like you know and move and jump and move sidestep and and recently i've just been thinking a lot about matt has has some shoulder issues and um Dude, I lost. Uh, speaking of intermittent fasting, yeah, how yeah, crazy yeah. is this? So, wh- how many weeks ago was that? Now, like, I don't maybe, know, maybe twelve weeks. Six, yeah, yeah I, I guess. Yeah, maybe. I Not was even. Say, I don't. We we met up with Jordan that day, and did we come here? I don't know. I don't remember when we start. When I, I don't remember exactly. Jordan, do you remember when, when you showed up at uh, at Waters to meet us? Yeah, Outside. that was when I was like finishing that antibiotic. So was that in June or was that in Like eight July? weeks ago? I don't know. It was like six, yeah, probably weeks ago. six to eight weeks ago. I started this inter- intermittent fasting. Well, you fasting. can say what episode was that, Jordan? I don't know. This, this episode feels like six weeks long at this point. <laughs> Hold on. We're, we're, hang on, hang on, hang on. We started six to eight weeks ago or I started six to eight weeks ago. Matt, instead of doing a training session, said, I want to do a nutrition session. Right. We and sat down. Right. We had some food. We went back to Matt's place. We got naked. No, but seriously, I'm seeing seeing and feeling these incredible results. Intermittent fasting because Matt read some books and he read some articles and decided, he asked me a bunch of questions. I explained it to him from the nutrition standpoint, more of a science standpoint. It made sense to Matt and he wanted to try it. And now, I think it's probably been six or eight weeks and Um, he just went to the doctors. What kind of results did you get? Well, so last time I was there, I weighed in at like 203. And I'm down to 189. Incredible. And I'm not. I'm not even trying to lose weight because I'm still exercising and I'm still working out to keep my muscle mass and stuff like that. But I'm cutting fat for sure. Um, and not feel, fat in food, but like he's losing body fat. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So I, I we've talked we talked about about this on Daniel's episode, episode 20. But I would love to dig into this topic more again once we have some more fitness-based or nutrition-based guests yeah, on the show. Yeah, definitely more nutrition-based. Because that is something that I found to be incredibly doable and easy, yet the results are pretty staggering. And I'm, I'm excited to keep going with it. Not because, again, not because I'm trying to lose weight by any means, but I want to see how far I can go. This was really, uh, Matt came to me and just talking about he wanted to live a longer, happier, healthier life. Yeah. And that was it. I mean, it's as simple as that. And that, I mean, that, I think that plays into like fitness for the musician. Don't even think about it. It's like fitness for the musician. It's just fitness for a happy, healthy, enjoyable life. Longer life, hopefully. Yeah. And like, now I just got to get, now I got to get a, now I got to get a hold of my, Anxiety levels, and then I'll oh, really be able to. You made a fist, like a strong fist. I thought that was like you know. That's right. A stiff moment. No, we'll we'll talk more about anxiety at some point because that's uh that's a big that's a big thing that I that I've been encountering a lot over the past couple of months, but I know others in my life have been too. On our hike the other day, Jordan, like we spent a lot of time talking about some some things in our lives that. Um, sort of create this these irrational thoughts or like force us to go down these pathways that create these as i would call them like false realities that aren't real and yeah. we speculate about things that aren't really happening or or whatever so <laughs> those things cause anxiety i'd love to i'd love to talk further about that at some i point. feel like we could just interview jordan cuz honestly when it comes to a lot of the psychology that i understand it's just from listening to jordan whatever he has 
listened to or read over the years of doing, you know, practicing his profession. Yeah. I mean, like, it's very interesting now I see in, in the nutrition track that I'm in, instead of taking a double history, you take a history and a psychology. And it makes all the sense in the world because a lot of the issues that people have with nutrition and food is psychological. Well, I mean, as human beings, psychology is the foundation of our entire experience. So right. You really yeah. I mean, can't separate that out from anything. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess going back to like one, it's just the study of behaviors, right? Yes, sir. Guys, after f- like five false finishes, can we take this shit home? Take it oh, home, man, Jordan. It's another two. All right. Zordon. Sweet. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, this is episode 22. Uh, we're like almost two hours and 20 minutes in. So again, we always, always, always are grateful and appreciate your attention. Uh, this has been great. Uh, it's kind of like taking it back to way back in like June when we would just do this by the three of us. Justin's pointing to himself. He's trying to communicate without talking into the microphone. But at this point, why don't you just fucking say what's on your mind? So... I really wanted to ask everyone, we really need people in the group, please, and tell some friends to do it as well if they find value in what you're listening to. We really need people to go on iTunes. If you can, please take 30 seconds, type in chocolate croissants in the search bar and you'll find the podcast. Please leave a review. We need those. We, we, have, we, don't, we don't have many and I really think we're going to, Come up with some kind of plan that when we get to, say, 100 reviews, we're going to do a giveaway. Oh, we got some stuff we can give away for sure. Absolutely. So please, oh, yeah. I, I'm just, um, we, we don't ask for much. We're going we're gonna to actually present this next week. That's cool, man. Justin, coming in hard. Dude. We, we need it. Hard. I keep checking it, and um, I'm, I'm bummed. That's sad, man. I don't know. Maybe like find a hobby. Jesus Christ. Okay, anyway. uh, So yeah, that's something you could do. Yo, don't Uh, say the Lord's name in vain, son. Yeah, dude. Fuck you guys. So, uh, and and by the way, we have infinite love for both small dogs and incubus. Just want to make that point. Um, Jesus and God. But we don't have love for the dickhead who fucking took me to dog court. That guy can fucking choke on a Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got to write that down in the notes. Dog court. That's something I do need to... Check Reference. Yeah. I hope that fucking guy dies on a dick. Wow. Wow. Matt, is that the most angry you've ever been? Yes. Wow. Wow. This is going to exist forever. That's fine. I hope he listens they to it. They will put this in a time capsule. Matt, you know, doll court. They're just going to like splice the parts, the good this part. This could be your legacy. That's fine. <laughs> it, it shows my devotion to my dog and how far... I will go to protect my dog by going to dog court. Wow, lovely. I feel like we've turned a corner with this podcast. Excellent. Okay, so anyway. With <laughs> the next the, capsule they put out there, what's the... What's Justin, <laughs> please just shut the fuck up. I want to like have you guys leave my apartment. Yo, Jordan's getting sleepy. He's trying I'm, to go to bed. He's I've getting, been yawning. He's getting Dude, it's almost midnight now. Jordan. I have to go walk In, the, in the words of Justin Posner, why are you so cranky? <laughs> Just Speaking say of bye someone bye. we should have on the podcast, anyway. So if you if you can, you, guys, you can subscribe, you can rate, you can review, you can do all that bullshit. You can www into our Facebook group. Uh, at this point, you know what that is. Uh, but seriously and and truly, thank you all for the attention, the love, and the engagement. Uh, it means the world to us. Uh, next week, you now know who will be on this uh, podcast. Chef Neil Howell. Chef Neil Howell, uh, this week in the Facebook group, we uh, will 
give you the platform to ask him questions. Uh, Justin is trying his best to keep his shit together. He's got uh, a pillow over his face. He's holding his microphone upside down. Matt's right leg is going nuts. I don't know if it's like a nervous tick or whatever, but we're learning here. We're all learning here. Yo, Justin, you trying to go train right now, even though it's like almost midnight? Sure. I'm down. <laughs> Yo, Jordan. Oh, shit. This, this comes out on Labor Day. Happy Labor Day, guys. Woo! Shit. Happy Labor Day. I want it to howl. Aren't we supposed to not do any chef. labor? God, honestly, that was the best if, mouth okay, fart so ever. If if in the past like two minutes you have left a review, you have full permission to delete that, uh, based on what we've made you suffer. Through. All right, you know what? I'm gonna take this out this time. Dude, since, I got this one. Since, oh, no, 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 no. All right, guys, thank you very much for listening this week. We will be back with our regular scheduled programming next week with our guest, Chef Neil Hal from the Corner Pantry. Jordan, thank you very much as always for your very thoughtful insight. We really appreciate it. Justin, thank you very much for your very thoughtful insight. We really appreciate it. I hope you guys appreciated anything I had to say tonight. If you didn't, all good. But with that being said, we're going to go. So without further ado, bye-bye. Do I hit the space bar to end it? It should have been mm, Bruce Pritchard. <laughs> <laughs>